second half of season six was kicked off by Blood of My Blood. But no one died. Well, maybe Danny's horse did, and several whites got smashed and burned up by Benjamin. But no humans, though there were some close calls, especially to Seth. The High Sparrow diffused the need for violence, giving a nod to the God of Death, whom he doesn't even believe in, most likely, by saying in his own way, not today. But the day is coming when violence will happen on a large scale. Cersei will choose violence, and soon. Danny has serious momentum and a gigantic army, and Benjen warns that the Night King will find his way into the realms of men, one way or another. The end of every season of Game of Thrones is marked by big action moments, reveals, and of course, deaths, spanning several plot lines. As we approach those climaxes, we get to play with and analyze the various plot arcs and their supporting details, supplementing it all with our book knowledge, and that gives us the opportunity to play guessing games as to what's going to happen next in both HBO's Game of Thrones and George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. So welcome back. Welcome back, Ashea. Thank you. And welcome back to the Radio Westeros team. Hey, guys, look at you all together. Uh, yeah, we just uh, we will all be into Balticon, so I'm broadcasting from Lady Guinevere's HQ. Really glad to be back. Right on. That's really excellent. And for people who don't know, Ashay and I were also at Balticon, so we all got to meet each other for the first time. That was great. We met a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. And like people from Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire that's who right. we worked with. And Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire. Reddit. Starkalypse from Starkalypse from Washington. Yeah, there's so many people. So it's it's couldn't even name them all. Big shout out to yeah. our friends in the Song of Ice and Fire Facebook group, the big group, 45 plus thousand people who we met a bunch of people from there as well who we've only known online, so it was a really great experience. We're going to have to set aside some time to talk about it, either in an episode or... We're supposed to get a recording of one of the panels we did from Balticon, and if they come through with that, we're going to build an episode around that, where we discuss some other Balticon things. Yeah, we'll see how much of that is salvageable. Uh, we yeah. were supposed to repeat the questions that people asked, and it just we just all forgot. Yeah, but we could edit that in maybe, so yeah. we'll see. So don't no promises there, but we're going to spill as much as we can. And we'll talk a little bit about some things that happened at Balticon as well during this episode because they, they're relevant. The main thing that was related to this episode, this book to show episode we're about to do here, is that all of us got to watch the episode together in a big <laughs> room at Balticon, a big auditorium, maybe 300, 400 people in there. It was really fun. There was a lot of people singing the theme song, including myself. And that was really fun. Some people did one part, some people did the other. And a lot of crowd interaction was pretty fun when... It was confirmed that the Blackfish took River Run because you know there was a little bit of doubt since maybe Littlefinger was lying. Mm-hmm. The, someone just a random voice yelled out, "Yeah, he did!" <laughs> and that was just a great moment. Everybody, there was a lot of laughter and, and just agreement. That. Yeah, and there were cheers for Gilly when she said her line about, mm-hmm. "I'm just, you know, I'm mad that people can treat people like this and get away with it." Mm-hmm. And there was big cheers for that. There and were lots for of Melissa Tarley for Melissa. Yep, that's right. There was cheers for stealing Heartsbane massive cheers for Benjen, and maybe even bigger cheers for Needle. Mm-hmm. I mean, for pulling, Arya pulling Needle out, that was just, people were like so, I mean, it was like, finally. I think a lot of people were just waiting for that moment. And then there were gasps at some of the visions, especially the burn them all. That was mm-hmm. just, whoa, we all, that was pretty incredible. The only uh, negative scene that I witnessed was the crowd, a little grumble crossing the crowd during that sa- that uh, incest Jamie Cersei scene, <laughs> a little bit of discontent at, at more romance and incest. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And, but 
As big as the cheers were for Game of Thrones episode, the cheers mm. for George R.M.'s reading were louder. We won't spoil any details, except to say that it was the first time the chapter's ever been read anywhere. So it was a completely new chapter. We got the scoop. We'll be making an episode on it soon, and we'll talk a little bit more about it at the end of the episode. We won't even say what kind of chapter it is, who's in it, but we will say, I think all four of us maybe even agree to some extent that it's our favorite chapter from when so far. And maybe that'll, maybe that part of that might just be the excitement of it being new, but trust us, it's, it's got some stuff going on. It was a, it was a brilliant chapter. I think everyone that, that was there and listened all loved it really. Yeah. There were more gasps and cheers and it was just, yeah, there was a lot of excitement and emotion and some great reveals. So we learned a few other spoilery things while we were there. And we'll share some of those details after the credits. Same time, not related to the chapter, but to, because that will be in a separate episode, as I said, but related to A Song of Ice and Fire in general. Some of it relates to the show. Some of it's just random tidbits that we thought we'd throw out there, because there's not really a great place to put them. Uh, might as well put them here. But of course, as usual, that will be at the end of the episode after the, after the credits and after the trailer discussion for episode seven that will also include some callbacks to the preseason trailers, because... As we get to the end of the season, those preseason trailer scenes that we haven't seen yet, they get a little more narrowed down where they like at the beginning, you can say, well, that could episode an episode anywhere from episode one to 10. Well, now it's seven to 10 and soon it'll be eight to 10. So mm-hmm. things are getting narrowed down. And of course, the end of the season is always set to be more exciting. So let's start with the first scene of the episode. This is breaks the pattern of every episode starting at the wall so far this season. Someone said that that was wrong, by the way. Oh, really? Someone said another episode started with Bran and Bloodraven, and I forgot to mention it to you first. Oh, okay. Well, that. my bad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, then most of the episodes started. Four out of five episodes started they at the wall. They all start north. All start at the north, and that one follows this pattern. It <laughs> continues where we left off with the hold the door scene. And that, of course, gets people excited and emotional because it calls back the epic ending to episode five. So, Bran starts off the scene. He's still downloading, processing (laughs) the vision. We'll talk about the vision separately. So, start off with the scene. Now, Lady Gwen, we'll start with you. You have some great thoughts here. Oh, I just, you know, the Benjamin reveal was huge, of course. Um, It's funny watching it all together. I think we all had a little bit of a doubt. When they first showed him on his horse and he spoke because his voice sounded a little different, probably because it was muffled, but um, there was this real tension until the actual reveal happened. Um, Everyone was excited. I've talked to people who only watch the show, don't know anything about, you know, cold hands or the the books or anything, uh, and they were still excited. No one seems to have forgotten Benjen in the long years since he was last seen on screen, so... Uh, there was a neat scene with a rabbit that I just wanted to mention because it came right after Sam and Gilly spoke about um, hunting rabbits north of the wall. Um, so there was, um, you know, they spoke about that. Then you had this scene of Benjamin uh, skinning a rabbit. Which uh, I thought was also a little bit of a throwback to a scene from episode... I mean, from season three or four, where four. Mira, four, Mira and Asha were arguing about the best way to skin a rabbit. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Seems like it's, I forgot quite about a, that. it's quite a thing north of the uh, wall. So. I, yeah. I did forget about that. And there was two women doing it. So that's great. That is really cool. Uh-huh. 
So we have to, to unfortunately, spend a few minutes discussing this whole cold hands as Benjamin thing. It seems like the showrunners kind of... I don't want to say they ruined it, but they caused some confusion in the, in the after the episode by making some comments about Ben. They called him Benjamin Coldhands, and a lot of people for a long time have thought that Benjamin was Coldhands. But Yoke Boy, we've got the proof from the man himself, don't we? Yes, in the original Dance with Dragons draft that George submitted to his editor Anne Grohl. She wrote a kind of liner note about cold hands. She said, is this Benjen? And George said no when he circled it. No in capital letters. Made it very clear to his editor, Anne. Um, pair this up with the Children of the Forest assertion that cold hands is very old. And it seems that in book canon, cold hands isn't Benjen, we don't think. However, on the... Inside the episode, D&D called him Cold Hands Benjamin, as you said, which has just confused everyone, I think. There's, I think all four yeah. of us agree that Benjamin and Cold Hands have been merged in show canon, but will be separate in the books. Of yeah. course, that's a common thing for them to it's, do. Yeah, it's the law of conservation of characters, as Lady Wynn uh, brought up. <laughs> Full and effect here. I think it's perfectly sensible. I think it makes a lot of sense. I'm very happy that they did it. I think probably pretty few people would complain. Our only complaint would be that they uh, didn't make it clear in the inside the episode. Yeah, that, that maybe could, it could have maybe been a little clearer. But yeah. it's also interesting, you know, for all we know, Benjen, something similar has happened to Benjen. In the in books, we just haven't been reunited with him yet. He, we don't think as much as we are confident that Benjamin is not Cold Hands because William George said so. Like, why would we have a different opinion than that? He could yeah. sure he could be lying. He could be, but, but why? He doesn't lie. We he don't have. Yeah. known not to lie. He's so. he, he's when he doesn't want to say something, he's evasive about it. If if he's and if he'll he say, keep reading. Yeah, uh, he'll say something like that. Not sure. So when he gives a straight answer like that, really. There's no evidence he lies to the to his fans. He's there's a pattern there, and the pattern is he doesn't just straight up lie like that. It also just doesn't make a lot of sense why he would lie about it. It's from where I'm to his editor, right. especially. Yeah, to his editor. That's, like, that's, that's bizarre. Like, why would he lie to her? It's not like he knew that was that page was going to be put up on the internet. People would see that this this the proof of of him saying no to Cole. He's like, I'm going to make sure this gets on the internet. You know, I mean. If George says something, we should believe it, you know. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll find evidence that George has been lying about a bunch of things. But if that, unless that happens, we have no reason to doubt him. So, But still, there's a lot we can get out of this from, from potentially understanding the books. He describes what happens. He's stabbed by a sword of ice, and the children jam a dragonglass dagger in his heart to stop the spread of the magic, which is, seems a little, maybe a little backwards, because that's how they, we see them creating the White Walkers. But hey... We you know we're not here to dissect the hidden magics of the children. I'm wondering how soon they had to arrive. Yeah, they you wonder. It's, it must it's, be pretty yeah. slow. Were they keeping track of him because he's a Stark or something? Is there something to his Starkness that matters? And is that why Benjamin's been missing? There's a lot of theories in the fandom about. No one thinks Benjamin's just gone forever. I mean, a few people do, but the vast majority of fans expect him to return or I we hope find out forever. his fate. <laughs> I just don't want an answer there. So, yeah, I mean, that would be something. That'd be kind of neat. Maybe we just I see a I don't white... think he's gone forever. I just hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the fact his Stark blood is potentially a big factor in all this, and, and we'll just have to see. Uh, Cold Hands theories, as far as who Cold Hands is in the books, this is a decent time to spend a minute or two on this. 
Knight's King is one option since he was a Lord Commander of the Knight's Watch, according to the legend. And this, the Cold Hands is dressed like a Black Brother, so that would fit. One of the Raven's Teeth is another popular theory. He's one of Blood Raven's men that he took right. to the wall. And Blood Raven's men were so loyal to him that some of them took the Black with him. So you'd think that those would be amongst the men that follow him, you know, that supported him at the wall. It would ex partly explain why he follow became beyond the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and beyond the wall, that's right. It would explain partially too. It's kind of an aside to say this, but how Blood Raven rose so high so fast at the wall. I mean, he was King's Hand. He's a part Targaryen. There's a lot of reasons. And he's a great leader. So that, that explains a lot of it. But he would also have, he brought his own men. They would have voted for him too. <laughs> so he even had slate. He even brought yeah. He even brought his own voters. Like complaining about rabid ravens and sad ravens. <laughs> and finally, the least interesting theory is that he's just some unknown ranger. You know, he could be someone like I mean, he could be someone yeah. like Stone Snake with a yeah, name. They say, and they but... say because they say he's very old, and I don't know. Yeah, but so... I even think Blood Raven is very old to them. I think that's closer. The line is. They, Bran says, but they'll kill him because he can't come in the cave. By the way, that's why Benjen didn't come to the cave earlier because he probably couldn't go in. And But it's the line is, they'll kill him. They killed him long ago. So long ago, maybe they know that they're talking to a child and mm -hmm. they phrase it long ago in child, you know, children, Bran. Chil not children, but yeah, children. As in a kid, a human <laughs> child's terms. But if it's a long ago from the point of view of children of the forest who live for a long, long time, then... That's a long, long time. So, yeah. Anyway, Cold Hands, Benjen, back in the fold. But that's just beginning. We haven't seen him. We, we saw him kick some white butt, but we haven't seen what else he's going to do yet. So mm -hmm. there, that's a big what if and what's coming. We'll just have to wait and see. Should we call him Cold Benjen? <laughs> ben Hands. No. Cold Ben. No. You guys write us with some suggestions. We're, not, we're kind of flailing here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how about the visions? Brand's visions, those were really big, huh? That was that was. Pretty cool stuff. It's exciting. I wasn't. Ex we weren't expecting it at all to go down like this. No. We were, with the name "Blood of My Blood," I think we were all anticipating some Lyanna Stark action, um, and not this yeah. montage of with a lot of Ares at all. Yeah, and it's, it's like you said, Lyanna, and we knew from in advance that mid Ned, we've got young Ned, mid Ned, and old Ned. Those are the three from the different visions. Well, two from the visions and one, well, all from the visions, yeah. but also old Ned, of course, is regular old Ned, Sean Ned. <laughs> And mid Ned, the one at Tower of Joy, we knew he would appear in this episode from, from you know, spoilers and trailers ahead of time, but it was a trick because it was uh, his same scenes that we've already seen with one exception. But let's go through these in order. Mm, yeah, okay, we start off, this is in, this is, the majority of these repeat, we're not going to repeat them every time they repeat. Right, we, but, we of course, did a, slowed it down and yeah, freeze frame freeze and just looked at every single one. <laughs> um, but it starts with a brand's fall, and then it goes right to the pyromancers, who obviously that repeats many times. Yes. And then it goes to Ares, our first wildfire. shot of Ares. Yeah, wildfire. <laughs> uh, it goes to our first shot of Ares, yeah. which is really exciting, and uh, things of note is that he doesn't have the long fingernails that he's known for, or he mm -hmm. doesn't, generally doesn't look as deranged. Yeah, he looked more a little healthier. Yeah, healthy, healthier. <laughs> His voice was loud and authoritative. <laughs> Burn them all! It was great. That was just a, a very emphatic and exciting. I guess I'll continue on then. Yeah. We get on to the hard home wipes, uh, whites. Lots of white. Even Carsey was in there for a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, for a second. There's a brief shot of John in there, um, just barely. Sometimes just a little bit of him. Sometimes it's, he was prominently in frame, but they're like kind one, of from behind. Yeah, quite literally one frame, one shot. You go to the right and it's gone. Yeah. Uh, then we have Night King. 
Lots of Dyke King. Come at me, bro. And uh, then Touching Bran, a couple other. Yeah, yeah there's that. Fist of the First Men. Just generally lots of white and White Walker scenes interspersed again with this burn them all. Uh, Drogon in the air. Dragon over King's Landing. The dragons being born with Daenerys. The back to White Walker stuff. And the dragons being born yeah. stuff is interspersed. A good catch by Duke Chronic. Noticed yeah. this. Noticed a couple of things and. One of them was that this the lines is the baby White Walker converting a baby is right next to Danny's dragons, which is you know baby dragons, baby White mm -hmm. Walkers. So that's oh, pretty cool. That's funny. Um, that's yeah, that's a real nice catch there. Mm -hmm. And we've got Ravens. The shot of Ravens mm -hmm. when yeah. right mm -hmm. before Sam kills the first White Walker, we see get killed. Mm -hmm. And the wildfire eruption. There's out of all those scenes, all of them are from the past, except for two. Some of them are from the Ares' reign, the right before, you know, we see Jamie killing him and we see the the, the stuff like that. And but but the, the scenes from the future appear to be there's some sort of eruption of wildfire in the wildfire room where we see them before working in there. And so as book readers, you all maybe are familiar with the idea that. There's hidden wildfire caches still in King's Landing. There's been a couple of references to that. We covered that in somewhat, some, somewhat great detail in our Summer Hall episodes. Mm -hmm. and, and I was very confident that the, at the time, and still am, that this is going to come up. There's some doubt that it will happen here, but I do think the stage is set, especially with the dragon over King's and Landing, Daenerys, that shadow. And the theory is that Daenerys would accidentally set off these caches of wildfire. Another common theory is that Cersei will have something to do with this burning, with the wildfire. Um, we tend to lean towards Daenerys. It could yeah. be both. Yeah. Huh. Um, I mean, I, I doubt Daenerys sets off the wildfire, and Cersei also sets off the wildfire. <laughs> but what I mean is that we could have the both multiple functions for the wildfire. If if it destroys King's Landing, you know, seeing it, the talk of burn them all interspersed with so many scenes of whites and White Walkers is like, well, is that the idea they're suggesting? Kill the White Walkers and the whites with wildfire? I mean, that does seem like it would be fairly effective. It could get out of control and. I mean, you don't want to just spew wildfire in a forest area, right? Like, mm -hmm. That would be awfully destructive. Better than letting the White Walkers overrun the kingdom, I suppose. Now, this also reminds us of some of the flashbacks from the House of the Undying. Uh, it's commonly thought that the scene with the Iron Throne in that, in her vision, is of snow falling on the Iron Throne. But watching her stankle poot suggests <laughs> that it could be ash instead of snow which is a very compelling idea and it fits extremely well with what we're discussing right now okay uh, yeah i think that is i think that is compelling um i like the that angle a lot i think it can be both um i don't know if anyone else has any thoughts if we should move on to going on over more of the visions yeah let's keep going okay um then of course we have aries's death we uh, see it from multiple angles we it's see it from multiple angles uh, yeah. including the shadow on the wall uh, stabbing him on the ground, stabbing him from behind. Yeah. There's like four, I think we see it from four different angles, maybe. Mm -hmm. At least three, perhaps yeah. four. And then, of course, we see Jamie on the throne. Yes. Um, as he did. Uh, so what we see a lot of is Stark and Targaryen, because we also see Bran, we haven't gotten to this yet, but Bran is, also sees his mother, his father, and Rob getting killed. And so there's a lot of Starks and a lot of Targaryens. Now... The books, the World of Ice and Fire has all but ruled out the possibility that Jamie and Cersei are the children of Ares somehow. But again, the show is not bound to that. The show could go that route and the prominence of Jamie in that, in these visions as the only non-White Walker 
Stark or Targaryen is kind of well. There's the pyromancers too. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, there's people interacting with White Walkers. Yeah, like Sam. Charlie. True, and and Daenerys is there. Of course, she's a Targaryen. But there's you know there's some other little tidbits like that. But it does seem like that's a theme of the visions. So it's not a very likely, but we thought we'd throw that out there as a possibility. Mm-hmm. And of course, we get Mid Ned yelling about his sister. Where's my sister? And this is one of the few new scenes, although it's from the past. Unlike the dragon over King's Landing and the wildfire eruption, which are both new and apparently in the future, we get a new Tower of Joy scene, or at least we're very confident it's from the Tower of Joy. And this is also an observation of Washington Duke Chronic, who points out that the, you can see for just a second, you can see a hand turning itself over and there's blood on it. It's not coming from it's someone that, something that they've touched. You can see what appears to be a body. There's another hand lying alongside it and there's a lot of blood. So, of course, thinking about the bed of blood and Lyanna and the promise and all those things, it seems very likely that that's what we're seeing. And this was partially confirmed, like I said, by this watcher who noted that the rivets, you can see the rivets on the arm guard, the vambrace that Ned is wearing. You can see the coloring beneath it is green, which matches what we saw from Ned. And the rivets are in the same places. Uh, So that is something we were already pretty certain of. This just sort of seals the deal. thought for a moment that it might have been Ares and Jamie. Ares had multiple rings on and it generally wasn't the clothes he had um, yeah. as so well. That, so that's an outside shot, but we think that the, the Ned and Liana thing is super, super likely and mm-hmm. I, I imagine most of you agree with that. So that's exciting. Unless you just didn't see the visions and you wouldn't know necessarily, but there you go. That's pretty big news. We also see some shots of the Ravens and we see the Three-Eyed Raven itself at one point, as in the not Blood, not Blood Raven, but the actual, you know, the Raven, the bird. And then we see Leaf making the White Walkers. So there's a lot of just, a lot of stuff to unpack there. And it's kind of unclear. A lot of it's repeated. Mm-hmm. In so, the same order. Yeah, in the same order. So, Yoke Boy, let, let, let's, let someone else besides me weigh in on this. <laughs> and Shay, you've, you've said some things, but I've been yeah, kind of yeah. going off on this for a bit. Let's get some other opinions. Okay, I, you know, I agree with the observations that you made, really. Uh, about the you know the wildfire and the secret caches that could be there um to me it looked like we're seeing the two biggest threats to mankind the wildfire in king's landing and the others in the north so that's a kind of ice and fire thing going on which would obviously fit the overarching theme um I did have one other... Oh, remember in the show canon, in the House of the Undying Vision, didn't it looked really ruined, that place, from my memory. It looks like the, there's been an explosion in that room. What do you think? I think it might have been, yeah. It, it's. I, I really, you know, we probably should have gone back and looked at the House of Undying scene to look for other parallels, but... Yeah, it did seem like maybe that would explain instead of the snow or ash, yeah, like the roof has been blown off or something like that because it's just been destroyed utterly. That would fit pretty well. And and remember that the, the vision ended. Daenerys walked away from this kind of ruined, lonely throne and chose to... She went through the wall. That's true. So that's a choice she made. So if we are looking at a ruined King's Landing here... I think we can have a good hint at the path Danny will take. That's a good call because, and, and even we're maybe getting ahead of ourselves as far as this review goes, but Dario's question, as much as there, some people thought there wasn't much to take from that final scene with Daenerys and it was just like a rah-rah, she's got her Dothraki. But Dario's question is really quite interesting. We'll get into it in more detail. But he brings up that she's 
never been really been a ruler. She's just been a conqueror at this point. She hasn't successfully governed anything yet. And he's suggesting that maybe it's not in her nature. And if you look at the makeup of who she's bringing across, hmm. it's a lot of destruction, a lot of destruction, a lot of potential for destruction, a lot hmm. of unmanageable factors. And it might fit better for her to be use that destructive power against the others rather than try to, you know, set it loose in Westeros as a ruling entity. Now, another idea making the rounds that we've touched on briefly is that Cersei will cause this massive destruction via wildfire, maybe something like what Ares was calling for, but maybe succeeding, or maybe Jamie stops her, or somebody stops her. Presumably this would happen after Tommen dies and she's really just lost it because the Valonqar prophecy has completely come true. She has no heirs, she has no, you know, she has no kids, she's lost her grip on power. And it's a callback to season two when she was prepared to kill Tommen and herself as Stannis was seemingly about to win the Battle of the Blackwater. So she she's shown already that she's willing to do that. So it's not just a random thought about how Cersei would react to losing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it does kind of seem like she would do that, take everyone mm-hmm. down with her. <laughs> she does seem uh-huh. to have that burn kind of vindictive streak. Yeah, burn them all. <laughs> Any other, do we have any other thoughts on, on that, on the visions? There's, I'm sure there's going to be more once we see, once we see what's happening, once we get mm-hmm. a little farther down the line. These last few episodes should shed some more light on it, but for um, now. I think the only thing is just that it's, they, they made it very abundantly clear that Bran knows how to destroy uh, the White Walkers with Valyrian steel and with Dragonglass. That's true. I've so. seen it repeated multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So there's all these, and, and it potentially, as we've said, wildfire might be part of that, you know, part of the arsenal of use against the, the White Walkers, especially the Whites. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem yeah. like they'd be And we even saw that mirror because we see, we see Benjen, Cold Hands, using fire against them and mm-hmm. right in that very scene. Very effectively. What, yeah. That was a cool weapon he had. I don't know what yeah, the heck you, that you was. Said, you said someone commented what it was. I, I don't think, was, I don't uh, recall if the name. A Japanese song. No, that was the sickle. Chain. Oh, okay. that one had that was, that was like a notch. That was a I can't remember the name of that one. Yeah. But no, the chain one. I don't think that one was. I don't think they gave a name for that one. Oh, but it's okay. very cool either way. Not the thing that lit up then. No. No, that was okay. that. The other weapon is the one that was name was given for. Oh, okay. So I guess we can move on. Well, this scene, I was was unsure how the scene would go. I wasn't. You know, I thought there had to be more to it than just a meet up, drop off Gilly and Sam. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't to predict Heartsbane being stolen. But we were all we all had high hopes for what the scene would look like and for other things. Shay, you have a lot of thoughts yeah. on what was going on in the scene. We all really liked the scene. Yeah, yeah. I think it was uh, my favorite scene, my favorite plot line. Um, my favorite scene was the scene where Sam actually introduces Gilly to his mother and sister. Um, but first I wanted to take a moment to shout out to the um, actors in it. Um, there's James Faulkner as Randall Tarley with that big, booming voice. Great he's casting. Really perfect. Jeez. One of my favorite castings to date. Yes. Uh, and he's known for Da Vinci's Demons, a show that I've seen a little bit of, but I, I'm more motivated now to watch all of. <laughs> right. Uh, tell us if you watch it and if it, you recommend it. Um, we have Samantha Spiro, Spiro as Melissa Tarley. Um, some people were confused about her name, so that's her name, Melissa. Uh, Rebecca Benson as his, as his sister, Tala. Not some people thought it was Tarla Tarly, which is a bit of a funny name. I Tarla think. Tarly, that's Tarly. Tarly. So I did listen. It sounded like she said Tarla because it's like Tala. Tala, yeah, but, um, with the accent. Yes. And then um, my favorite, uh, Freddie Stroma, who has been in a bunch of things that I've seen, and every time he's been typecast as this smarmy 
too perfect sort of guy. <laughs> he I was, guess that's the right yeah, role that's, for that's him. <laughs> um, he was Cormac McLaggen in Harry Potter, uh, which again that role. He was the Bachelor in the show Unreal, <laughs> and he was just the worst in the Inbetweeners too. So generally, I <laughs> hope that we'll see more of him because he's good at being just perfectly insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll get a chance to see him take down something more important from 70 yards with a bow. Yeah, we're going to go into uh, how we think Dickon and Randall could come into play and could continue to be in the story as we continue on. Um, one thing that I really liked right off the bat was that I personally was seeing this from Gilly's eyes. Um, she sees this, I mean, Horn Hill is outrageously huge and glorious and yes. green. And so like, you really see this disparity between... What Gilly's used to, and Tala Tarly, who has, who says, you can stay in one of my bedrooms, and what's your color? Yeah, and it, <laughs> and and Gilly has never had a room at all. She has I a mean, burlap sack and that a she sack. Had, yeah, she's whereas, dressed in wool. So I just that was really well done and humorous, <laughs> but also it's, it's you know sad at the same time. Um, and as an aside, they went with gold and dark green, not midnight blue or silver. <laughs> <laughs> She was so um, funny walking all... Yeah, it was a very funny scene all throughout it, but to me there was this rippling undertone to this very happy scene that Sam's lying to his mother about this being her grandson. As she yeah. says, you're, you'll be a maester like your father. You're like, no, no, don't be like your father, no, little baby. Yeah. Do not be like Craster. And then no. Gilly, I think you can <laughs> sense her discomfort with lying to these people who are being very nice to her and maybe lying in general yeah. about this. And then... Throughout all that opening scene, there's this shadow of Randall who hasn't even deigned to appear. Yeah. And he takes so long to say his first lines at the dinner. He just sits there in silence for a while and he finally speaks up. Yeah, they do a good job of prolonging that tension and that yeah. fear there. And so overall, I really thought this was a funny scene, but also just a really emotional scene for me in like a really brutal, heart-wrenching way. And I have to say... People might think it's weird, but I cried more during that scene <laughs> than I did in all the previous episodes combined. Oh. It was like very, <laughs> I was, and I was at the, I was at the screening, you know, I'm at the show, so a little public. You know, something that. is just now occurring to me. This whole, I'm surprised no one else has mentioned mm -hmm. it in our comments or anything from our show review or anything. Maybe I missed it, but mm -hmm. this whole lying about who your, who the baby belongs to oh. is totally just a. You know, setting up Ned Stark and Lyanna. Um, that's a great point. I can't believe we never hit on that. That's before. really actually blatantly obvious now that yeah. I'm just like, oh my goodness. That's, <laughs> wow, that's, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's really good. So, yeah, but of course, that lie was, you know, they just left. So they're not being forced to raise this child. Yeah, as, so. you know, at least. Although they are still really. The, the, tale is it's still there Sam, yeah, they're, like they're, they're not gonna say oh, this is my incest baby they're still lipstick into the lie that it's his that's right so that's and that's it is his it's the same thing with you know ned and john that john is still ned's son he raised him absolutely and if sam raises little sam that's that's his son and hopefully he's not like craster yeah yeah of course we have craster sam uh, a line that everyone laughed so hard at I think our father could learn a thing or two from your father. <laughs> I think that was might have been the first time he spoke. I think he said enough of that. Yeah, enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> he said it very gently. He wasn't like angry. He was just be quiet, you know. <laughs> so let's talk about the theft of Heartsbane. That was the big surprise that, you know, Heartsbane getting involved somehow was not a surprise. You know, Valyrian Steel is a bigger deal on the show. But, I mean, I don't yeah. think many people saw this coming. This no. just blatant just theft. I gotta say... <laughs> I felt this like romantic tension in that scene, and so when Sam came bursting back through the door, 
I thought, you know, they're gonna make sweet, Let's sweet love. Let's bang one more time. Yeah, before, let me get a bang. real. Let me sweet, get a real like kid. Mine. Sweet, sweet love versus bang. And uh, <laughs> I'm still thinking of it's always sunny. And they're gonna have uh, the fat pink mass. Yeah. <laughs> but I definitely was feeling that. So when he came in there and says we're gonna leave, and he takes heart, babe, really out of left field for me. Wasn't there some comment about George regretting putting the line "fat pink mast" in the books? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we heard that <laughs> because it not because he didn't like it, but because so many people have come up to him said, "Oh, fat pink mast." Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's <just> so notorious. <laughs> okay, so other thoughts on this scene, Yoke Boy. I think you had some uh, some thoughts on the Heartsbane stuff. Yeah, I loved Sam stealing Heartsbane. It was a great surprise to have a kind of fuck yeah moment from Sam after the humiliation at the dinner table. However, despite the moment of bravery, you know, I've thought about it. It's actually a really stupid thing to do and can only work against Sam and Gilly in the longer term. Sam clearly wants the best for Gilly and the baby, but I think he's putting them all in danger by stealing Heartsbane here. It's a silly risk to take. And I'm sure there'll be some kind of repercussion. But all that said, I thought it was so funny. It was a really amusing moment. And <laughs> yeah, he I could barely lift it. it. I'm, yeah, I'm glad he did I, it. <laughs> I did think it was really amusing. And I think you raised a point that I didn't really consider that it was a risk for Gilly and the baby. And this scene was a lot, it was all about Sam not taking a risk in mm. that he wouldn't, like, maybe he wouldn't have stood up to his father in general. But he, he didn't stand up to his father right there for sure because, as he said, he didn't know what would happen to Gilly and the baby because of that. And so this a little bit flies in the face of that. But generally, I think he weighed his options and saw the value of taking Heartsbane. He doesn't trust. Ultimately, he, he maybe doesn't trust his father to treat Gilly and the baby well. I mean, he's not going to kill them or something like that. Yeah. But I, he, he doesn't. He's he at the moment of when it all came down, he's like, you know, this is not a good place to leave them. Sure, their lives might be safe, but they're not. It's not. It's still too far from ideal. They're still going to be. <laughs> treated poorly and it could have a lasting impact and no he's just not going for it so yeah it's really hard to say where it's going though what are they going to do like he knows where sam and gilly were supposed to go old town now that's where they'd likely go just to ship out period yeah maybe they send the sword north to the wall somehow yeah Uh, see my question is who do you trust to send as a courier for a valerian steel sword my only thought, I, maybe they meet someone that's trustworthy enough. I thought maybe Gilly would go alone, but that's like they'd separate and Gilly traveling alone seems really doubtful. And I thought, you know, maybe Sam just has to go back up to the wall with Gilly. And uh, we'll have definitely a little more to say about that. Stay tuned for the post credits because we have a little more information yeah, on this plot line. Yeah, we got some inside info based on some but extra information. Another question that, I came, that came to me was... Who's going to chase after Sam, assuming someone is? I will be very disappointed if, neither, if none of the Tarleys, they don't do anything about this. Yeah, that would seem uh, unlikely, but possible. So I comment and tell us if you think it'll be Randall, Dickon, or both coming after yeah. Sam. They're both hunt. They're supposed to talk about how they're hunters. They're, mm-hmm. they're, their sigil is the striding huntsman. Mm-hmm. You know, now uh, they're hunting Sam. <laughs> of note is that uh, Dickon was the one to immediately be most doubtful of the existence of White Walkers, and it would be a really great moment to have him, great for him to see that they're real. Yeah, they chase uh, him to the wall to get the sword back, and then they get confronted with the reality of, like, no, you shouldn't have giggled at the mention of White Walkers. They are as real as can be. 
And as Sean pointed out on Monday in our show-only review, he thought it would be nice and perhaps fitting for Dickon and especially Randall to see Sam in his element, to see him get the respect of his peers and to confirm the stories that were told about him, that, you know, he really did kill a White Walker and, yeah. and all these things. So that would, uh, that would be nice for I Sam. I think that would be satisfying for uh, most viewers, really, and not only in it, from Sam's point of view, but, but to see a skeptic confronted with this reality. Yeah, and of course, uh, he mentions that how, you know, the... the well, Realm has been at war with wildlings for so long, and he, it's, it's a point of, it's dishonorable to have this enemy in his hall. So the flip, the, you know, the inverse of that sort of is that you're supposed to fight the enemies of the kingdom. That's what an honorable man does. And so if the walkers are invading, Tarly and company should potentially be, you know, lend their self to that, to the defense of the realm, you know. So we'll have to see. That's very exciting. Very uh, like again, just to, this is basically just getting started. This whole mm -hmm. new this whole new plot line. Sam and Gillies. This is only their second appearance of the season. So it seems like the second half of the season is when we're going to see movement for them. Now yeah. that they're done traveling. Sam King. Sam King. <laughs> Sam King. People were chanting uh, something King at the uh, reading. Uh, so. All right, the twins then. Return of the twins. Return mm -hmm. of the phrase. So, Blackfish takes River Run. Lady Gwen, talk to us about that. Well, this was great. The repositioning Blackfish at River Run, it gave me a lot of hope for this storyline. You know, in the books, he never left River Run uh, till he surrendered it to Jamie Lannister, at which point he became what we know now. He's just sort of a roving threat. Where is the Blackfish? But since the show had him escape from the Red Wedding and, you know, go off to parts unknown, I was really afraid that they were going to abandon this entire part of A Feast for Crows, which happens to be one of my favorite parts of the book. So it's very, very gratifying to see them going here. And also, I just want to say that this scene at the Twins with Walder Frey and um, his sons was so hilarious. <laughs> They're laughing at us. <laughs> yes, we were all laughing at you. Yes, we were. You, you, you don't lose a castle. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Yeah, it was just—he's he, such a great actor. So. It's like you know, that's what Joffrey would be saying if he had lasted to old age. He'd be like, he wouldn't give them. He would give them very little in terms of. He did get, you know, of course, he did give them Edmure at the end to give them some sort of weapon. But mostly he didn't, he just said, do it. He was <laughs> like, I don't care. Get it done. You, you know, the prop, they're laughing at us. Get it done. There's right. no here. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you that. This is how you do it. Just do it. Yeah. So there's a lot of other interesting little tidbits in this scene that, that give us even more hope for the Riverlands arc. It really looks like they just put it off a couple seasons. We thought a lot of it was skipped, but... Most, if not all, of the major elements are there to this point. There's there's a couple of major ones that we're not sure about yet, but the Malisters and Blackwoods are in revolt, and that's just like just like in the books. Those were the last two houses to bend the knee. The the Blackwoods were threatened by Jamie, and they were you know in see, besieged by the Brackens, and then Jamie got them to surrender and give up a hostage, Hoss the hostage, <laughs> and off screen Black Wilder threatened to hang. Patrick Malister to get the Malisters to submit. Now that worked for for Black Walder because Black Walder has a reputation 
And Jason Malister probably correctly deduced that Black Walder would hang him. However, in the River Run scenes in the books, Ryman uh, Frey doesn't have the guts to actually go through with the hanging. And Jamie is disgusted with him, hits him in the face, does all this stuff. His own son insults him for being, you know, ineffective. And we could get something along those lines. And we hear that the Brotherhood Without Banners is raiding their supply trains and has raised the common folk against them. So, confirmed Brotherhood Without Banners are back and we didn't, we weren't sure whether it would be the Brotherhood Without Banners or we just, because we knew preseason they were casting news about outlaws. But they were all these new outlaws. We weren't sure if, you know, Barrack or Thoros would be back. And it does seem that Thoros has been confirmed to return, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess that's a bit of a spoiler, sorry uh -huh. about that. But that's that's not even certain, so don't quote me on that. But it opens up all these possibilities, such as even including the return of Stoneheart, which is still possible. I know I, we're, we're trying not to get our... I know you don't have your expectations yeah. set at all for that. No, I'm trying. Every time you say it, I have to re-lower my expectations. <laughs> no, I, uh, I'll have something to say about this in the post-credits discussion as well. That as, even Aziz, Lady Gwyn, and Yoke Boy haven't heard yet. Ooh, very yeah. nice, very nice. Ooh, excellent. Well, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, some sort of a Merit Frey-like scene... Yeah. Near, near about the end of the season. Um, personally, I also don't hold out much hope for Lady Stoneheart. Um, but the but Brotherhood could function just without her, yeah. right? That's Absolutely. Yeah. Now, what about some other possibilities? Let's talk about some of the other things that, that happened in the Riverlands in the books that we could uh, could expect to see. The elder brother, Septon Maribald situation. Maybe we'll get the Hound. Maybe yeah. we'll get... Brienne um, and Jamie. Uh, that's the big one, yeah. Soon to be reunited and possibly alongside Podrick and Bronn. Um, I've got to express some disappointment at Jamie's kind of lack of redemption arc that was so defining in the books that everybody that I've spoken to about it, you know, unanimously loves. But this, arc, this kind of redemption story was a lot about Brienne. So, you know, if... If they're going to kind of get back together and be on, on screen together, there is hope that there's some kind of redemption story for Jamie around the corner. And let's really hope because it would be brilliant. Yeah, it could just be a delay of this arc instead of them getting rid of it. Yeah, well, you know, the Riverlands is where Jamie gets that letter from Cersei um, saying that she needs him. Of course, in the books, it's prior to her walk of shame. But that is where he finally rejects her um goes off in his own with his own motivations so it's really my fervent hope that this is where we might be going because i i agree with you oak boy it's probably my single biggest disappointment with the show is the lack of you know this coherent redemption arc for jamie so it's definitely set up a lot of expectations for us we have maybe as a group as a whole we have low expectations for mm -hmm. the possibility of stoneheart but i think we all acknowledge that it is definitely possible and with this Jamie redemption arc as well, no ch no confirmation whatsoever that it will happen, but this is the opportunity. This is when it could happen. If it was ever going to happen, this is the right spot for it. So there's a lot of hope in this arc, and this is very exciting that we're getting here. And the fact that it's happening at the end of the season, when the exciting things are supposed to happen, when the big changes and momentous things are happening. So it all just really, ew, there's just a lot of super amount of potential here. We're really, really excited about it. The thing about Jamie's redemption arc as well is it involves 
finding out some dark, bitter truths about Cersei, such as what happened with Lancel and some other things. And the Lancel one is particularly big in terms of this discussion because it, she, Jamie, show Jamie doesn't know about Lancel. But who does? <laughs> Podrick? Maybe Bronn. And maybe Bronn. Mm -hmm. So it could come up when they all become, you know, on screen together. And this is how he could learn. It could be something else that happened. Maybe Jamie gets news of something else that's happened at King's Landing while he's gone. Maybe Cersei sends a letter bringing, trying to get him back. And it's very similar to the books. And she describes what's happened, but he's come disillusioned by then. Or maybe Brienne has got him back thinking honorably, something like that. I love the thought of Jamie learning about this, just because I, I personally think Lancel looks like a real creep in the show. <laughs> back when he had that terrible, like, minstrel wig and cap, <laughs> to, like, now when he has the star and the buzz cut, and he's always looking solemn. And that creepy look he gave when, <laughs> when the High Sparrow was like, we're ready for violence, I mean, Lancel gave the side yeah. eye to Jamie, and it was like, whoa, that guy is Jamie crazy like, that looking. Guy, really? He looks creepy as hell, yeah. <laughs> Now, here's another, here's, here's where things, the predictions get maybe a little darker. Well, for me anyway, I think some of, some of my compatriots here have a less dark view of this possibility. But I have for a long time expected that there's a strong possibility Brienne would lay down her life for Jaime. The circumstances would be, we all know Brienne was captured by Stoneheart at the end of Feast, and but we know that she's free in dance because she meets Jaime and, you know, gets him to leave his army to go off you know, ostensibly, she tells him that the Hound has captured Sansa, or is it Arya? Sansa, I think. Mm -hmm. And is going to kill her unless, you know, Jamie comes. And so Jamie leaves, and we hear that, we hear that he's been gone for a while through Kevin's point of view. And, you know, he's obviously falling into a trap with the Brotherhood. They're going to capture him. And how does he get out of that? Maybe a trial by combat is, is seems, you know, like a throwback to Beric versus the Hound. And while Jamie is in no shape to win a trial by combat, even against, you know, he's he's still, as we see in the Riverland scenes, he's training with Ill and Payne all throughout those scenes. And he's still really not good. He's mm -hmm. better. He's getting better, but he's still bad. And so it would make sense for Brienne to step in for him because she, more than anyone, knows that he really has changed. Other people just, he's, it's just his reputation. That's all that matters. Even Cersei doesn't really get it. And she spends a lot of time with him. But Brienne, only Brienne knows this. And so she would be possibly willing to step in and, and maybe she loses. Or maybe she is wounded badly or something along those lines. But uh, Yokpo, you have a, a different idea. Yeah, no, I hear what you say, and our instinct, and I say instinct because, you know, we're all guessing here, aren't we? Yeah. Is, is that <laughs> Brienne has more to do in the story, and we really hope that she's going to find a way out of her current predicament. There is always a chance that she stands in for Jamie in a trial by combat, as you mentioned, but there's also the chance that she wins. She's a good fighter. <laughs> she could beat, I think, anyone the Brotherhood has... So yeah, I like I could see that for sure, and I definitely hope you're right. I like my idea has some merits to it, but I don't want it to be true. <laughs> so so that's that. Both are possible, I would say. We we're just guessing, aren't we? There's not much evidence here. We're just going on instincts. So yeah. Well, we will continue the twins Riverlands discussion at the end of the episode in the credits after the credits because there are several shots of what's coming in the trailers. Quite a few scenes from. Mm -hmm what's coming up in the Riverlands in the trailers, so we'll discuss those separately. So we do have a lot more to say on that, but for now, we'll move on. 
First of all, a shout out to our Ironborn Captains. It's a new pledge level on our Patreon site. And you can get your own captain title as well as a ship. Hmm. And our first Ironborn Captain is Kathleen the Ruthless, Captain of the Night Terror. Hmm. Well-timed shout out there for those in the know. So <laughs> let's keep that going. Let's keep moving in this episode and talk about... King's Landing. This was a scene that I, there were several things going on that I missed because I was too focused on what I was really looking for and that caused me to miss a few details. Seeing it the second, third, and fourth times opened me up to some new things. There's several minor scenes building up to the big scene and some after scenes as well. We get a couple of different places here within King's Landing. First we get Tommen and the High Sparrow. Tommen is the lion. But it's the High Sparrow sinking his claws into the young king here. He's the one in charge, it seems like. And this is the battle. It's the Game of Thrones played out in a different way. Instead of people fighting for the throne, they're fighting for the ruler because the ruler is, well, he's a, he's a very influenceable little kid. He's, he's, it's easy to, relatively easy to make him do what you want him to do. And that's just the dichotomy. So when, when there's kings and queens, there are other people who have claims to the throne. But when there's a weak king, it's it opens the door for all people who could never be king themselves. People like Littlefinger and Varys, people who just, it wouldn't work for them to be king. They don't have noble enough blood, but it allows them to manipulate someone like Tommen. High Sparrow is a perfect example. No chance the High Sparrow could ever be king of Westeros, king on the Iron Throne. But ruling through Tommen effectively like this, that's, not only is that legitimate, but as of now, it's completely happening. So let's talk about Tommen and Marjorie, where there. This is where things get a little more confusing, and where we might need to explain some things and 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 set our own opinions on what we think is happening. Yoko, we'll start with you. Okay, Tommen and Marjorie. This is the kind of first hints that Marjorie might have become devout. At this stage, though, it's really not clear whether she's just playing along and has a you know a kind of secret plan or that the high sparrow has genuinely wore her down and she's become religious we've previously seen marjorie desperate to help loris and showing some inner fortitude that her brother didn't have so i think we all agree that marge is most likely trying to play the faith into releasing her and her brother and that takes away the leverage that the faith currently have. And, it, you know, it kind of frees the hostages. And once they free the hostages, then the faith are vulnerable. Because, like I said, they've got no no leverage. Their bargaining chips are, are gone, aren't they? So re I really hope this is how Marjorie's story is going to play out. Because I really think it would be terrible writing if Marjorie had actually converted you know, overnight, and she's really gone against all the hints so far that she's got this inner resolve, and suddenly she's bowing down to the high steps, and I think that would make awful writing. I agree, yeah, and I, I'm with you. I don't think that's what's happening. I do think Marjorie is, is, is a top schemer here, and she had her own plan, and she was legitimately surprised by the military intervention, and probably a bit disappointed because she's like, no, 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 no. I have to be seen to submit to this it's my penitence is part of this i have to admit that i did something wrong or it kind of defeats the whole purpose and if you just sweep me away then they're still going to be like nope marjorie never did what she needed to do she never atoned 
And the problem with Marjorie's plan, though, and it may be, I'm not saying she didn't necessarily think this through, but because she's doing the only thing she can, is that Tommen seems to have genuinely converted. You know, that you make a great point about hostages, and if they just let everyone go, they have no, they lose their, some of their leverage. But if Tommen is genuinely converted to the faith, they don't necessarily need a lot of leverage because they've got the top spot on lockdown. Tommen's, you know, going with their... That could be a tragic mistake in Marjorie's plan if Tommen has really swallowed it, you know. That could, yeah. could be the backfire. Yeah, if she tries to say, hey, I was just playing along, now, you know, now let's do our thing. And he's like, no, I, I legitimately... I mean, we saw when he came out on the steps, it was a big surprise. His Kingsguard are wearing the seven-pointed stars now. Mm -hmm. His just those four anyway, mm -hmm. and uh, that was that's a pretty neat detail, and it, it kind of shows that he's he's probably not uh, he's probably not playing around. I think that Marjorie definitely thinks she's like I converted him once, I can confront him again. She can't have a private conversation with him. She can't make it clear what she's doing. She can't so be like, was, just pretend to go along with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah she, she can't. She knows she, she's being listened to. Yeah, she knows that. So she, I, I think she's confident in her abilities, and I do think that she could, you know, it could get out of control for her. But I also think I also agree with you, Koi, that I would be deeply disappointed if Marjorie was actually devout now because mainly for me because I she loves her brother and she doesn't think that he's wrong for being a homosexual. Right. And that's what really gets it down to brass tacks. I mean we saw that it was clear that Marjorie just didn't seem to have any issues with it at all. She just walked in on it and was just yeah. like you you know you probably shouldn't do this so openly. She didn't yeah. say don't do it. Yeah, she just don't totally be so blatant fine. about it. So I just I, it would be such a switch of her values to me. Um and so I really don't think so I think Natalie Dormer's a very good actress, and you could see that veneer yeah. here when she's talking to Tommen, and um, again, like you said, when she's reacting to um, the Tyrell soldiers. I think she cuts off Tommen a few times when he's about to say something. Like, she wants to steer the conversation yeah. in certain ways to make sure certain things aren't said. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that she is. I'm, I'm very confident that she's just playing her own angle, her own escape game here. But... Again, we'll have a few more things to discuss at the end of the trailer. There's still plenty more to say about the scene, but there's also more to say based on the the, next, the trailer scene, so we'll, we'll have more to say on, on Marjorie as well. But let's talk about the actual moment of confrontation a bit more. There's some cool things going on that, that I, I didn't catch the first time, did not talk about it in the show-only review. And in fact, I wondered why Olena was even there. It seemed like a dangerous place for her to mm -hmm. be. Like, if, if it goes to blood, like, you know, she's a 60, 70-year-old woman amongst a, in a battle. That's it's not a great place to be. But... <laughs> She was signaling Mace with her fan. Every time Mace ordered the troops to do something, it was her making motions with her fan. She was totally calling all the shots there. Mace was looking at her for directions. It was really cool, really subtle. And when I when I looked for it, it was blatant. But when I I didn't know when he, when I didn't notice it, I didn't catch even a, the slightest hint of it. So go back and watch that scene if you want. It's really nice, really clever. And and what that says to me is that Olena wants to. She understands how important the situation and how delicate it is and it could, the wrong decision at the wrong time or the wrong move could mean blood in the street civil war like like kevin was worried about like she was worried about too so she wanted to be there to be the final decider on whether blood would be spilled or not i think that was why i think that was it she's like i'm not leaving this decision to anyone else certainly not to mace <laughs> so <laughs> that was very that was really cool and uh, one thing i saw that was very funny was 
you know, a lot of people making making fun of Mace's speech there. And it was a comic book <laughs> speech, not not only because of Mace himself, but it was the editing. It was the lack of music. It was, you know, there, there was a number of things. I saw edits with, like, heroic music in the background, and his speech was decent yeah. with some good music in the background. Um, but I also saw a great one where instead of giving a speech, he sings a song. <laughs> you know how he's the Mace of bass, and he sings like, <laughs> with a deep voice. And I, I linked it to you, as these, I think. And okay. It was... It was very funny. Uh, I, I love Mace and his big plumage and uh, his what's happening, and he, he has a lot of humor. The difference between Mace of Bass and Ace of Bass is that Mace did not see the sign. His mother, no, he has to, his mother has to tell him which signs they saw. Yeah. So let's talk about Jamie and Tommen. Now, it makes sense that Tommen would have to punish Jamie. In this, in this light, in some way, because he did make an aggressive move against the faith, which is now allied with the crown, even though he didn't know it at the time. You know, you'd think that maybe that would mean some sort of punishment for Mason and Olena as well, maybe, but we haven't seen that yet. Now, the scene, of course, has shades of Barristan Selmy, doesn't it? Lady Gwen, uh, talk to us about, about this scene a bit. Well, it does, obviously, the stripping off of the armor, you know, in front of the king... Uh, definitely was very reminiscent of Barristan. But what I want to know and what I thought immediately as soon as I figured out what was going on, who's going to replace Jamie as the mm. Lord Commander of the Kingsguard? I mean, we don't have any other named Kingsguard at the moment other than uh, Gregor, and so surely we, they're not going to be as stupid as to name him as Lord Commander. <laughs> <laughs> But you think they have to have someone? I mean, it's it's a known position. It's you know, it's very important, I, I believe. So we talked about it earlier. I want, could this be the way that we finally get to see Loras in the King's Guard? Uh-huh. You know, they've got to make Loras relevant again. He's, he hasn't been relevant to the plot for a while, other than just you know being a as as a prisoner. Make Loras great again. Is that what you're saying? That's what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> 2016. Loras Kingsguard 2016. I gotta yes. wonder how irritated all the other Kingsguard would be to see Loras just Elevated appointed up. and yeah. made Lord Commander. They're like, hey, I put in my long hours. I got I did overtime. Some of them maybe didn't. Like some of them are just <laughs> yeah. like just recently named. They're also yeah. nameless and faceless. Yeah. No, they all they all died. They're, these are all new Kingsguard. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they, maybe they'll be as annoyed as Jamie was or as Barristan was when Jamie was appointed Lord Commander. <laughs> good point. Very good point. Now, so because this happens in the show. We got to at least consider the possibility that somehow Jamie is axed from the Kingsguard in the books as well. Certainly that'll happen if the Lannisters just lose the throne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jamie won't be Kingsguard to, you know, egg on the sixth. Yeah, yeah what, what, what happens in that case to a Kingsguard? Are they, are they expected to just like commit, like, what is it? Who could they like kill themselves <laughs> and kill question. themselves on their, sword? on their swords? I mean, Barristan joined the new regime, and, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he was but like the he only one. He was invited one. to, like, yeah. 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 That's, it's, it's an open question. We really don't know. I mean, they've, it's, it's not only, it's hard to answer for several reasons. One being that the precedent has changed. I mean, Barristan's exit from the King's Guard was unprecedented. Jamie's is, well, it's precedented since of Barristan's example, but we don't have, we don't know how it works. Does Jamie have, is he back in the line of succession? Is he basically Lord of Casterly Rock now? I mean, that didn't even get brought up. Yeah, uh, it didn't. And you got to wonder, uh, if that's something that Jamie's going to realize or have brought to his attention, hey, yeah. I should be Lord of Cashley Rock then. I want I want it or I don't want it. Or is it something yeah. that mm. Cersei or someone else will be pushing for? And 
Of course, if he's made Lord of Castle Rock, there's an impetus on him to get married and yeah. have kids. Yeah, he could have kids. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a whole new ball game for him. Mm. Well, this is all what this is what Tywin wanted for him in the books, and he categorically, you mm-hmm. know, rejected that. Tywin wanted to remove him from the King's Guard and send him to Casterly Rock and have him get married. He said no, thank you. In fact, the suggestion was that he marry Marjorie. Uh, I feel like Jamie is going to leave the King's Guard ultimately. Mm. Yep, boy, you had some uh, thoughts on uh, leaving the King's Guard as well, huh? Yeah, I just, you know, just kind of occurred to me with Jamie leaves the King's Guard, John leaves the Watch, Arya leaves the Faceless Men. Or, you know, this is all happening kind of in succession. We can kind of see how the characters are are being maneuvered into completely different positions now. And I'm thinking this is to set up their end games, isn't it? This we're on the final final stretch and they've been set up into their final positions. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. They're in their act three coming in there. Another thing that he made me think of by mentioning that, that was Tywin's wish is that I'm, I'm sure Kevin knew it was Tywin's wish. We see Kevin standing there mm. at, at Tommen's side. That's a great I have to point. think that Tom, uh, Kevin was pushing for it and, and it's clear, but you know, he's getting Ke- one of Tywin's dying wishes. Kevin definitely holds a torch for Tywin. <laughs> holds in the a books. torch for Tywin. He he thinks of him a lot in his own yeah. chapter and how he would have, you know, what he how he would have reacted to some of these things. Like mm-hmm. Cersei's walk, he thinks about a lot. He's <laughs> how Tywin would have reacted. Rather, he would have he thinks about <laughs> maybe. Mm-hmm. I personally think Tywin would have done everything he could to stop that walk, but yeah. Kevin is maybe uh, thinking about it a little differently. Yeah. So like uh, one thing we've noted before and see here, you know, is two Lannister factions. With yeah. uh, Kevin and like Kevin, Jamie, and, and... yeah, with and Jamie, Cersei. But you see, this was what Cersei wanted. This is what Kevin wanted. You wonder they have a conversation saying, "Look, we both want this. Let's make it happen." Yeah, uh, I'll calm Jamie down. You get Tommen to do it because I my word has little weight with him right now. Yeah, uh, I like and, the idea that Kevin had something that had had some influence on Tommen in this decision. Yeah. And another thing that I took that um, I took a little bit of note of, and then Sean brought to my attention um, greater is just the. As similar as the scene is to the Barrison scene, there's a lot of key differences in the audience for the scene, whereas Barrison was more public. Um, Jamie was just in front of a just Lannister guards. Lannister guards and Kevin, yeah, that's and it. Um, Kevin, and of course you can say you know Barrison. It was happening from Joffrey. He wanted this to be a public spectacle of a thing, and um, Sean and I were talking a lot about the different angles and the lighting that was shown. In that, you know, this lighting is. Sub- Subdued and dark, yeah, and, very dark. And yeah. it makes sense from a lot of angle, in a lot of ways. But I think it was a nice touch and a well done scene. Yeah. Okay, let's take a quick ad break, and we'll come back to talk about the final King's Landing scene. Jamie talking to Cersei about their future plans. Then we'll move on to Bravos and the rest. Okay, this final scene. Jamie is very frustrated. He's he's basically goes on a little rant how he's going to get Bronn and go kill the High Sparrow, etc. And but Cersei's like, no, this is fine. This is all, this this could work out. She, Jamie is first of all concerned about Cersei's upcoming trial and Cersei just kind of brushes it off and says, look, it's trial by combat. I've got the mountain. Yeah. And then Jamie's mm-hmm. like, huh, yeah, okay. Well, and deep, de- deep down he's thinking, yeah, but I wanted to see that. <laughs> but yeah. Now, but here's where I think, again, Cersei is being overconfident, just like she was with, with the military intervention at the Sept, which did not work out at all, it was very embarrassing for them. Huh. How does the high, you, you can't, does the High Sparrow really not know that Cersei's going to choose the Mountain as her as her defender? Like, isn't that blatantly obvious? So he's not just going to 
I don't know if he's just going to walk into this and allow that to happen. Maybe he's got something planned. Maybe he's got a trick planned. But maybe not. Maybe he's just really devout and he expects the gods to side with the faith. You're always theorizing that High Sparrow's got some plan going <laughs> on. Well, this is just so obvious. Like, he knows the mountain's going to be her champion. That doesn't mean he's going to do anything you're about You're the High Sparrow's devoutest follower. <laughs> I'm pro Sparrow. You're the most devout. <laughs> he's the highest Sparrow. <laughs> so, that we do have some more thoughts on this. There is some things that are revealed in the trailers so we'll, so we'll touch on that at the end of the episode but one suggestion i've seen is that the high sparrow will insist on a trial by seven which we wouldn't see happen i don't think that would be that'd be too expensive for them to film probably yeah so i would think that cersei just you know she's caught she doesn't have the ability to find the right champions or something which maybe that's a bit of a stretch and that and it devolves from there and mm. who knows but like i said more on that in the trailer discussion after the credits definitely several things to say on that but let's move on to Bravos. Let's talk about the the play and backstage. Yoke Boy, take us away. Yeah, I really, really love the play within the play. It, I think it's really well done and definitely gives this sense of a kind of bastardized version of the story that we've, you know, all been watching. So I think it works well in the books and I think it's working really well on screen, actually. I almost wish there was a bonus episode where we could we could kind of watch this whole play, see this whole play about Tyrion. That'd be great. <laughs> like the Mercy chapter, the, the play does seem to revolve around the supposed bad deeds of Tyrion Lannister. Uh, remember that the play in the books is actually called The Bloody Hand, so again, it's revolving around Tyrion. Um, it's quite amusing to see see him blamed for everything whether he's done it or not i, I find that quite funny the the demon monkey is not always popular with the small folk but he does make <laughs> a kind of good figure of fun and yeah i really enjoyed this whole sequence now we're going to relate this demon monkey aspect and how this play uh reflects on Tyrion and how that applies to Daenerys's arc a bit later. So listen, it's a little thought to keep in the back of your minds, and it's it's pretty cool. But Lady Gwyn, you have more thoughts on on the play itself. Yeah, uh, just a little comment uh, from news from Balticon. Somebody in the audience asked George uh, about Shakespeare's influence on *The Song of Ice and Fire*, and aside from the obvious, which is the histories. Um, which he went on at some length about and probably could have gone on even longer. He just mentioned that on sort of in sort of a general sense, this play from the Mercy chapter is his nod to Elizabethan theater, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, he brought up uh, the comparison from Tyrion to Richard III, mm-hmm. uh, which many people have brought up before, the similarities. And so it's great just to hear him talk about that. Yeah, he, he talked about how Shakespeare ruined Richard III's reputation because it was, he meant to, he meant to, you know, he was writing a drama and he wanted, you know, made Richard III more of a villain. But historically, it's not terribly accurate. And this is what we're seeing. Tyr- Tyrion's being blamed for all these things that are certainly not his fault or his doing at all. Hmm. So another nice little thing in this scene is Arya, when she's pouring the poison into the, the rum, She's looking into a mirror, and it's like sort of challenging her, asking her who she really is. And this is a throwback, hat tip to Lady Alicia the Everlasting, one of our lords and ladies on Patreon who noticed this, that Sansa in season two has a similar scene where she's looking into a mirror 
and it's very they're under the auspices of identity issues, and so that's really nice. And Alicia also pointed out a couple of the other parallels that we've mentioned in that are throwbacks to season two. She says season two is full of nods that are resolved in season six, which is pretty cool because a lot of times we, a lot of show watchers and book, especially book readers, point out that the show just like abandons things and doesn't make these connections that the book makes, like these really thin dot connections across multiple books. And as the show gets bigger, as more seasons pass, we are seeing more of that. So it might be time at least to reconsider that the show does more of this than we had previously given them credit for, or at least they're making up for it by doing a lot mm -hmm. of it this year. So I really appreciate that because those are the kind of things we love to find. We, we're, we're such nerds about finding connections in the books, and that's part of what geeking out of this material is all about. So when the show does it too, well, hey, we just got to give them credit for that. It's really good. Mm -hmm. So Lady Crane and Arya talking to each other. Yeah, we have this great line about, oh, well, you know, when the, when the writing's bad... How they work with what they have. Uh, with you gotta wonder, like when they wrote that, did that really go over their heads? How fans would interpret that? We, the whole room um, laughed so yeah. loud <laughs> because, like you said, we were in a room of like 300 to 400 people. That line, people were just like, everyone got it and just laughed, like, oh, <laughs> do you realize what you just said? <laughs> it's, it's too, too, too good. And then we have, of course, her saying that Arya had, you know, expressive eyes and wonderful eyebrows, which. Aziz connected to it um, from an actual scene. I connected it to um, a story, uh, an interview with Maisie Williams, where, you know, they have those Funko Pop toys, little, little like, bobblehead-looking toys. So they're pretty popular. And they're very popular, and um, there's ones for all the characters. Well, Cersei's has eyebrows. Arya's doesn't have eyebrows. And, Ar and Maisie Williams, like, had her Funko Pop, and she's like, why doesn't it have eyebrows? I have nice eyebrows, too. <laughs> and so I like to think that, you know, they're like, yes, you have wonderful eyebrows. Maybe they are bad. <gasps> uh, and there's a, another throwback to season two when Melisandre meets Arya, and Melisandre really focuses on her eyes. And what she sees in them is that she, Arya, will shut many pairs of eyes herself. I think that's season three, just to nitpick. Oh, okay. Well, even Sorry. four, three or four, one of those two, yeah. but not two. It's the scene yeah. where the Gendry is sold to <laughs> yeah. the brother yeah, of the yeah. or sold to Melisandre. So, yeah, so there's also insight that Arya has over Cersei's character and how she would actually react to Joffrey's death. I thought that was really cool. Uh, Lady Gwen, you had some thoughts on that. Uh, I think this was cool. It highlighted the similarities between Arya and Cersei, didn't it? And these two... Both have this really strong theme of vengeance and just, you know, looking at Arya's face during all the Cersei scenes and then as she kind of delivers this whole exchange with uh, Lady Crane was, uh, I thought yeah. it was very thoughtful. Yeah, the theme of vengeance is present. That's really good. Yeah, it's uh, hmm. it's so exciting to see Arya, you know, moving out of her training arc and, you know, she's still in Bravos, and, and it, it'll be... We need for her to leave Bravos before she really gets rolled back into the main plot and starts interacting with other major characters again. So we're all very excited to see that happening. But at least it's it seems very imminent now. The, or the, the means for getting to Westeros is still kind of up in the air. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we talked for a while about um, this her being sent to kill, play Cersei being parallel to her being sent to kill or wanting to kill real Cersei. Real Cersei. Yeah. And here she doesn't kill real Cersei, mm. and we don't think she's going to kill. I mean, she doesn't kill play Cersei. And I don't think we think she's going to kill real Cersei. Uh, it's the Valonqar. Uh, and so that continues the parallel. Yeah. 
Not that I think she'll stop for any sympathy necessarily, although that would be quite interesting if she felt bad for her and couldn't do it, all of the hound. Mm-hmm. Now, like as I said at the beginning of this episode, there was massive cheering for the moment that Arya becomes Arya again. She <laughs> reclaims Needle, and it seems that she's reclaiming her identity at the same time. Yuck boy, tell us about that. Yeah, Arya picking up Needle is hugely significant. I think everyone will, will agree with me there. Uh, the sword was given to her by John, but it really symbolizes her true self as a Stark. And I've got a really great, great uh, quote from Feast, if you'll allow me to read it out. Needle was Rob and Bran and Rickon, her mother and her father, even Sansa. Needle was Winterfell's grey walls and the laughter of its people. Needle was the summer snows, old man's stories, the heart tree with its red leaves and scary face, the warm earthy smell of the glass gardens, the sound of the north wind rattling the shutters of her room. Needle was Jon Snow's smile. He used to mess he used to mess my hair and call me little sister, she remembered, and suddenly there were tears in her eyes. So, Arya, after hearing that quote, I'm sure you'll agree, Arya regaining Needle, an item the faceless men didn't want her to have, is a really great way to convey that she is now her old self again, coupled with her refusal to carry out a task she didn't want to do and could find no justification for. Arya with Needle is Arya Stark, and no one was just another temporary moniker for her to add to quite a long list of in the books maybe 16 or 17 names she has in the books and perhaps the first person to get a taste of needle now Aya has it is going to be the waif what do you think i think the waif could get it i think maybe it won't be Arya that gets the waif maybe Arya just escapes and um, as a side note, I didn't, I didn't actually realize it was as high as 16 or 17 names Arya had. That's quite a myself. few. Myself, um, I never had counted them before, and that's interesting. <laughs> we'll have to maybe, maybe we'll maybe we'll get an exact count later. And yeah, yeah. Let you guys know. Yeah, I like the the question of. I do think the waif is not is an if anyone's going to be her first target, that's as good a guess as any. But we've seen in their fighting that the waif is just far above Arya at this point in in her skill. And there's some very interesting things about the scene where the waif talks to Jaken about what happened. And this could require further research, and maybe some of you out there have already noticed this, but when the dialogue here is very important, and I, I'm not sure that it's appropriate to be this precise with it, but uh, you know, as book readers, that's what we do, and I think, it, I think there's a good chance that it matters, and if not, it's very interesting. So what it is is when she comes in, Jaken says, and how did it go, or something like that, and, and she says, as I thought. And the first, she says, refers to herself as I, which is kind of sticks out a bit, because they're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to be no one. And then she says, you know, it's a shame. A girl had such promise, or such, had many talents, or many, yeah, many, many talents, gifts, or many something gifts, like that. Yeah. And then the waif says, you promised me. And Jaken pauses, and he has a funny look on his face before looking up at her. And this, it seems like, oh, it's like he, he's surprised or he's confronted by this reality. No, Jaken already knows this. The second she says she failed to do, Arya failed to do the, her murder the proper way, or at all, that's Arya's death sentence, or supposed to be. She already was warned, you will not get a third chance. So why is Jaken surprised here? 
And hat tip to our friend Dan Koisman for being the first one to point this out to me. She says, you promised me. And that's what Jaken reacts to. He's like, you promised me. So maybe when he says, it's a shame a girl had many gifts, he's talking about the waif. Because by that time, she's already said I. No one is not supposed to be vindictive. She's clearly has it in for Arya. Neither of them are fit to be faceless men. Arya nor uh, the waif. So I think the waif's face is a good chance it's the one going up on that wall. Because Jaken says one way or another, some face is going up there. And so maybe Jaken will stop the way from killing Arya. Uh, I don't know why she would, he would let her go. I don't know why Jaken would let Arya go because she's already, you know, she's broken the, the rules, etc. So maybe Arya just gets away from them both somehow and has faceless men on her tail forever, <laughs> which is not going to be good. <laughs> but there's a lot to consider here, and there's some good subtlety there. Did you guys, did anyone have any more thoughts on that? Or am I... Uh, Am I off the deep end with this? With these ideas, is am I taking the, the the dialogue a little too literally? I think that I think that it's really interesting to think about whether it's you know I, I feel like the show often just goes for the most simplest explanation, and a lot of these kind of theories, including kind of conspiracies, never come to fruition. But I think that it's an idea that's you know uh, engaging to think about and consider. Cool. So. Thanks to uh, you and yeah. was it Dan Koifman who pointed some of that out? Right on. So, do we have any more thoughts on Arya and what's coming up for her? She certainly ends her scene with turning out the light there, and some I've seen some suggestions that that's uh, because she knows how to blind fight, and maybe that will give her an advantage over the wave. But I kind of think the wave probably went through the same similar training. Yeah, I kind of think that too. Um, I think it's interesting that right now we're gonna have a. Assuming that Randall and Dick, Randall, Randall and or Dick, or I should say the Tarleys, um, go after Sam, uh, we'll have two characters being chased, chased hmm. down. That's here. a good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to Bran being chased yeah, yeah, by yeah, the right. whites, in Bran, to Bran yeah. hopefully he's almost done being he's done being chased or yeah. Uh, that's, that's you're right, true. There's a lot of people being chased around yeah, Westeros. Some chase scenes, Westerosi <laughs> chase scenes. Technically, I guess, they're not. You're, he, Asha and mm -hmm. Ashiara and Theon are also having to be aware that Euron might be chasing after them. They don't yeah, know. We know. True. We know that he's making ships. Yeah. They don't know. Good point. Good point. Mm. Okay, so I guess we can move on to ye old Dothraki Sea, mm. where Daenerys is leading her massive Kalasar of all the Kalasars. Basically, mm -hmm. she asks Dario how many ships they'll need and Arya suggests a thousand at least which happens to match up with Euron's building plans <laughs> so that's kind of an obvious connection to make and it makes sense since the Ironborn fleet is all has long long been seen as a very likely vehicle for Daenerys to get to Westeros and I mean long I mean before Feast for Crows even people were thinking that mm -hmm. and then once the Feast for Crows came out it seemed even more likely because Euron announced he was going there, etc., or sending Victorian, as it turned out. But there's, like I said earlier in the episode, there's actually a lot of subtlety in the scene, even though it's just this rah-rah, Dothraki, are you with me kind of stuff. It's a lot like Khal Drogo's speech. We get the triumphant dragon music. and But the thing is, Dara's question is really interesting. He asks, other than the Unsullied, her army is just composed of a bunch of things that no one in Westeros likes. In fact that they hate in some cases. Westeros doesn't like eunuchs. She's got an army of eunuchs and eunuch counts, you know, and some eunuch counselors. She's got 
Dothraki, who Westerosi do not like. They think of them as savages, you know, dirt-worshipping savages or something like that. And, of course, they're called the culture clash. They don't even speak common. I mean, they can't even communicate with each other very well. There's all sorts of issues there. And then there's potentially Relorists coming over. They are, they're not going to be popular in Westeros, I don't think. And this, by the way, I want to give a little hat tip to Watchner Michael Naraki, who points out this whole dichotomy of her being a conqueror. And it's kind of as soon as that question comes up as whether or not she's a conqueror or a ruler or maybe both. Drogon, that's right when Drogon reappears. And it's like, well, Drogon is an instrument of conquest. He's not an instrument of rule. He's destruction. Such in the books, Dario is war and woe. He's, you know, Danny starts to think about these sort of things and how some of these things are violent influences of destruction that are not part of a ruler's arsenal. They're mm -hmm. part of a conqueror's arsenal. And so this dichotomy is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And and this is what I meant about Tyrion. The play shows that Tyrion is wildly, wildly unpopular, even mm -hmm. among people who don't know him and all these stories are being told about him. And here he is, <laughs> another part of Danny's council and army. And so it's just like, this cannot go over smoothly. <laughs> yeah. And one thing I couldn't help but think of here is, you know, we see a lot of cultures in, intermingling in the books and, you know, through marriages and large-scale large, large scale, uh, migration from the Roinar to Dorne to the Wildlings, you know, marrying into the Northmen with Alice Karstark and Thens. And so now we have these Dothraki and and R'hllor priests and, and Miranides coming with her or all these people and they're gonna marry into Westerosi. Yeah, that's and, that's uh, that's kinda cool. Kinda yeah, that's second Nymeria, that's a good point. Yeah, because yeah, um, they married all those ancient bloodlines and into each other. Yeah, so you think Dothraki will get married in, into these into these families. I can only assume that there'll be some marriages like that. That's true. Well uh, Lady Gwen, you had some thoughts on this. Let's Danny's promising destruction, basically, right? And that's what she's offering her cows. It's, yeah. Yeah. She's offering it. She's demanding mm -hmm. it. And, for you know, first, uh, as it pertains to her dragons, um, which you mentioned, I just briefly say that we heard George say at Balticon, you know, or make the comparison of the dragons to nuclear weapons. Uh, which wasn't anything new. He said that before, but you know that was fresh in my mind, kind of thinking about this. But you know, Danny in that speech, which really echoes Drogo's speech, she's demanding that they tear down. They, you know, they cross the Black Sea. They kill the men in their iron suits. They tear down the stone houses. I uh, wondered if this could be a hint at what uh, Oak Boy mentioned earlier with you know possible destruction of King's Landing tied maybe to wildfire dragons or whether it's intentional or accidental you could just be a little tip at that there's certainly stone houses are going to get turned uh, torn down if she unleashes her dragons yeah so that's really so it's, it's it's people have been long expecting it's finally coming at least it's still a little ways away but danny's retur return to westeros from childhood is you know looming now and but it looks anything but like a smooth transition it looks mm -hmm. like it will have all kinds of problems yeah. now obviously at least she has a lot of manpower <laughs> uh, one quick thing uh that we didn't write in our notes but i wanted to mention is i think we we all had fun laughing and talking about what happened to daenerys's horse <laughs> yeah uh, she, went she rides the over there and then she comes back on a dragon and 
Did it turn into a dragon? <laughs> is that what happened? That's it. Drogon is a skin is a uh, real skin changer. Yeah, he's a shapeshifter. Yeah. He's a faceless uh, dragon. Well, yeah, we all joked about how you know Daenerys gave Drogon a little snack uh, to make him a little more amiable to her riding him, and that you know Daenerys isn't tied emotionally attached to her horse because she already had one horse. Die right. in the Dothraki in the Red Waste. Yeah, and the silver is still alive in the books. Yeah. Barristan is writing it in the spoiler chapters. Oh, spoiler. Oh. <laughs> Minor spoiler. <laughs> there. He wanted some symbol of her to be there still. It was pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, um, so I think we're done with all that. Yeah, let's. And we can move on to a couple questions. Sure, let's yes, do a couple questions. So let's, let's mention real quick. Oh, I want to, before the questions, I want to mention what wasn't in this episode. Oh. No, Ramsey or Rickon still, so Rickon's yes. fate is still delayed for now. Uh, we haven't heard I mean, some of the, the things we <laughs> talked about are coming. Some lines, not clear that. Two episodes in a row without Ramsey, though. It's interesting. No Marine, so I, maybe we'll be getting back to it next episode. We'll have to see. No Wall, Sansa, John, Davos, Mel, or Iron Islands, or Asha Yara slash Theon, who were part of the Iron Islands, but they've left, so mm. they're not there anymore but we see neither them nor the iron Islands itself so there's a lot that wasn't in this episode makes sense though because there were several things that weren't in any other part of the mm -hmm. season sam and gilly took up a lot of time whereas they took up no time the entire first five episodes mm -hmm. and the riverlands no time at all pre prior to this episode now we're getting some talk on that some scenes there so things are changing things are moving mm -hmm. and that's all that. right so these what's your favorite scene slash plot line well my favorite scene, hmm, it's tough. I think I really liked, I really liked the visions, even though they were kind of confusing and disconnected, just because the Mad Kings burned them all was just so, it just hit me so hard. It was mm -hmm. so cool. So maybe that's not my favorite scene. It's my favorite moment, mm -hmm. you know, because the Benjen we kind of saw coming. His fighting was it. Yeah, the, the reveal of Tommen being tied to the faith was pretty surprising, but it didn't hit me as hard as, as burn them all. That was just great. <laughs> so I'm going to go with that. All right, uh, let's see. What about you, uh, Yoke Boy? Um, I, my favorite is it was the brand stuff. The Benjen thing was just such a hell yeah kind of moment. And uh, like Aziz, I, I really like the visions too. How about you, Lady Gwyn? I would have to say Sam stealing Heartsbane. I didn't see that one coming. And... You know, I like that one a lot just, too. <laughs> it's a really he did it. Really he did exciting. it so kind of nonchalantly. Oh, I'm just stealing, <laughs> just stealing a sword. It was, it was so. Sad he had a trouble lifting it, even struggled with it. And... There's more ceremony for kids stealing parents' booze than him stealing <laughs> that family sword. Yes. Uh, it, he should have replaced it with like a practice stick or something. Oh, that would have A wildling been. sword. That would have killed me. Place, a little if speed. you put something up there or, or anything, that would be really good. I okay. definitely, I def I'll answer that, but I want to say I definitely like the thought of like how, I don't know when Randall looks to see if the sword's there. I like the thought, Aziz mentioned that every night at dinner he says, this is the, this is the family. See sword. that sword? Yeah. yeah, every night he says that. Like, geez, again? And then he's like, Jeez, oh, Dad. that sword's gone. Like, so then, which, which I think if Randall doesn't notice it right away, it would also explain how Sam and Gilly can manage to get enough of a head start to get to Old Town and leave. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I think I, I just has to happen. I have to justify it somehow. But my favorite plot line was... This is the Sam one entirely. Uh, my favorite right scene, on. as I mentioned, was specifically 
the introduction when they arrive at Horn Hill. Um, cool. Although the dinner was particularly good, if if quite painful. <laughs> um, so. I think I think probably a lot of people were sat home relating to having a father like that. You know, it's people they uh Yeah, right. All right, so let's let's say uh, let's see what our rating for the episode would be. I'll okay. Go in the same order as these. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give this one a seven point five. I think it's the lowest rating I've given this season, but that's still very high. And I guess. But I, I'm tempted, tempted to give it an A because I'm just so happy to see the Riverlands. It gives me a lot of excitement for the possibilities there. So yeah, maybe I'll do the seven point seven five. We someone <laughs> I think Lady Gwyn uh, broke broke the broke yeah. us into point seven five as a legal choice. So I'm going to go there. I'll go seven point seven five. All right. How about you, young boy? I'll give it an eight. It was one of one of the best episodes of the season. I thought it, you know in terms of uh, it was good all the way through. That's what I thought of it. It was consistent, so yeah. Lady Gwen, uh, I, th- I was thinking eight as well. Say pretty much the same reasons. Um, it was very, it was very enjoyable. I'll go with an eight and a half. I really liked it Yay. all cool. around. I was <laughs> super happy. Sam's one of my all-time favorite characters, and I was happy to see him come into his own. He's one of the characters whose plot lines they haven't really screwed up. I don't think <laughs> so. I was very happy. Maybe some of that was that uh, viewing party energy getting me hyped. <laughs> that slightly. gave it a boost. I was trying to. I actually knocked a little bit off for that for because that, I knew yeah. that was artificially boosting my opinion. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have though. Maybe I should just let it go and be an eight like you. But guys. yeah, I no, also have. My opinion's been I was so surprised to see Aries and so pleased to see him. So that's another thing that's affecting that my opinion really there. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, generally high score for me. Maybe my maybe my favorite episode of the season, to be honest. As much as I, I really didn't like the Benj and Coldhand stuff, mm. which leads into my next question: is what was your least favorite scene or plot line? I'll start with me. Uh, I I originally would have said the Marjorie stuff because I'm just so worried. I was just so worried. I don't trust them to not not make that mistake of having her be devout. But generally, everyone thinking that she is lying has convinced me. I'm hopeful. That's not my least favorite anymore. I really liked the Olena stuff. And, uh, yeah, I just really didn't like Cold Hands' fight very much. Mm. I don't know. I just wasn't a big fan of the fight. Yeah. But it was such a solid episode that's below us. You had to pick something. You asked the question. Yeah, I had to pick something. Um, And so uh, how about you, Lady Gwen? Let's start with you. Uh, I was – I'm torn because I I didn't really care for some of the – what you said, the the Marjorie – kind of mm-hmm. th- that stuff but it just except for the dragon i really didn't like the <laughs> danny scene that uh-huh. much so the dragon's uh-huh. pretty epic. well i mean and don't like and don't like i mean just gave the episode an eight so I, we're talking yeah. we're talking least favorite <laughs> so you know least favorite implies some enjoyment <laughs> not hated <Right. laughs> yeah. yeah probably the the danny thing because it felt like it was a really good episode and they had to tack on this kind of fuck yeah Danny moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> it just seemed like it's too contrived to kind of en- end the episode on this kind of uplifting thing. But they didn't need to do that, yeah. I don't think, because, you know, it was so it was good, good consistently. Maybe because it was such a short scene and it just seemed like it was yeah, only there just to bring the dragon in. Yeah. Like, there was not a lot of mm-hmm. plot movement. But it was still, I thought, you know, I it thought Jovan looked really cool, actually. So I didn't yeah, completely really dislike yeah. it. Yeah, that was one of the best Drogon yeah. shots we've ever had. Yeah, yeah I've, was I've complained cool. numerous times about some of the CGI for the dragons, and I really liked it. And I think they learned something there. Uh, for most of the Daenerys shots on Drogon, they kept it to faraway shots, 
which conceals the any poor CGI, which was the problem with the never-ending story scene. <laughs> uh, you know, when she leaves Daznak's pit. Yeah. So... I, I was really very happy with that uh, in particular. So I think that kind of drowned out any other dissatisfaction I had because I was really expecting any scenes with her on a dragon to make me facepalm. Uh, yeah. And oh, another thing I liked about that scene actually was that uh, for a long time I wondered why Dario was along for the trip with Jora. And just to make witty banter with Jorah. Let's remember for a while I thought he was going to yeah, die. Yeah, and you thought he was going to die. And right here I see it come to a little bit of fruition in that. We, we get to see someone's reaction who actually knows Daenerys and is seeing her in this powerful position on her dragon. And yeah. I was personally focusing a lot on Dario's face mm -hmm. when he saw her up there. And it made me feel better about yeah, the previous was, scenes with him. He was very thoughtful. Chaos. It was He wasn't just like rah-rah. He was, yeah. it was really... And I think it goes it goes with his question about you know you're you're a mm -hmm. conqueror you know what comes after you take the seven kingdoms you know mm -hmm. you're a conqueror so that in fact that was my least favorite scene at first but upon re rewatching it thinking about that Dario question how much it made me thought made me bump that scene up a bit mm -hmm. in my in my mind because of the underlying stuff so which is always cool and I also thought it was nice one thing I didn't I forgot to say was that when they're waiting when Diana, Danny goes around the corner and they're just sitting there waiting and they're waiting the Thraki start to get a little restless. Which I think is another nice little underlying theme. It's like, well, yeah, you're going to have to have, they're going to have to have something to do. <laughs> and what they do is kill and rape and enslave. What are you going to have them do once you take the Seven Kingdoms? So I thought, the, yeah, that gave me, a, gave some extra points to that scene for me. So, but, but it was possibly my least favorite, even despite mm -hmm. that. Did we get to you? I started with me. Well, yeah, that's, that's so. That, that's I still think answer. it might still be it because I can't think of what else. But I think uh, it's that and the Benjamin's cold hand. Same same complaints I have as you is it was just the, the action was a little like eh, you know, flaming ball and chain, sickle. He's got all his weapons back and forth. Him. It was fine. Like I liked it. It was, it. It was just maybe like I have to pick a weakest scene. I'm thinking maybe, but the reveal was so cool. <laughs> but we also knew it was coming. So, <laughs> although yeah, yeah like, like you said, I mean they they tricked us right at that yeah. moment. We. It was We're nice like, that they threw the trick in there. I yeah. was looking deeply into his eyes and hearing his voice, and I was just, I looked over to see them, and they were both like, that's not Benjen. Yeah. And I, the whole, for like a couple scenes until we learned it was, I was like, who could it be? What, it's just some ranger we don't know? Yeah. We only know a couple people at the wall. I was really confused and thrown for a loop for a second. <laughs> I, w I mentioned it on the show only review, and a lot of people, a lot of people agreed with me. So I'm, I, I was already very confident, but it's nice to have mm -hmm. agreement. Some people disagreed, but you know that's the way. That maybe we'll find out in the DVD extras one day. They'll they'll tell us that they did something. Okay. Thank you to First Lord Cash Craig, Hand of the King, Lord of Mines, and Lord of Makers. Uh, Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog as well, and Warden of the West. All of us got to be this weekend. Lord George Stormsville the Cunning, Lord of the Chiliad, and Warden of the East. Lord John Reed of Castle Woodbridge is the Lord Borealis, the Light of the North, Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is the Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. Roy the Rogue, Archer Extraordinaire, and King Beyond the Mall would love to duel Angai the Archer in an archery contest. My money's on Rory as good as Angai is. The small council of History of Westeros is made up of Lord James Inklake, the Scholar Knight and Master of Whisperers. Grandmaster Saria of the Barrows is our Cinder of the Citadel. Lord Robert Jacobs is Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever is Master of Laws. Lord James Tuttle is Master of Ships. Ships becoming more important in the realm these days. 
Lord and ladies in their castles include Lady Dyerlis of Castle Knox, the Alpha Patron. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains of Castle Great Bell is Raker of the Second Stone. Lord Skip of the Velt is Lord of Castle Ganges. Cabethian Frozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light. Mary Meg is Lady of the Bloody Stepstones. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Bread Fort, a delicious castle. Alicia the Everlasting of the Green Blood is Lady of Desert Rose, and she supplied us with some good tidbits this episode. Thanks, Lady Alicia Everlasting. Jeffrey the Unflinching is Lord of Sand Lake, Lord Grey Bay of the Queen City. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Lord Brandon Slate is the Norse Hammer, Harbinger of the Old Gods. Lady Brand is Light of Winter's Garden, Beacon of the Northwest. Lord Mark Joseph is the Snow in Winterfell. Ashlyn Winter is the Hawk's Eye and Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. Lady Cochon Vallant is of Swine Harbor. Lord Barone of Hillcrest, Lord of the Halls and wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglades, rounds out our list of lords and lords. But there's also King's Justice Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Lord Commander Dubbington commands the history of Westeros Kingsguard. His nickname is the Red Bear. By the way, we have an opening in our Kingsguard. That's a rare thing. So check out our Patreon page if you're interested. That's true. Both both show and our Patreon have, have a spot for a Kingsguard. And last but certainly not least, our History of Westeros Night's Watch is commanded by Lord Commander George the Golden and First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Greenshield. So... Good stuff. Trailers, credit discussion. We've got stuff going on here. Uh, yes, yeah, so this obviously has spoilers for, um, as we're going to get into uh, the Winds of Winter stuff and other things that were said at Balticon and other things throughout this. Um, first, I want to start off with a thing that I, you guys didn't catch. I didn't have a chance to tell you before. Okay. Someone <laughs> asked George, apparently, at that $1,000 dinner at Balticon Thursday night, um, they asked him if we'd see Stoneheart in the show, mm -hmm. and he said no. She was cut. And you, mm. could, you could argue that he wasn't updated on her being in the show, but I got to think they'd tell him. And he, I think he said something about how if he was in, if he was in charge, she would have been in the show. Mm. And of course, that's you know like a game of telephone. That's we didn't hear that story from the source, but um, I just saw a post about it right before we recorded, and so I'm especially doubtful. Okay, well let's not get our hopes up for Stoneheart then. <laughs> Anyone that had the hopes up is crazy anyway. No. <laughs> crazy hopeful. The logistics of bringing back an actor, actress gone for so long is yeah, yeah. just a lot of things. Yeah, there's a lot of issues yeah. with it. Yeah, as much as it breaks my heart, because I, I also wanted to see Stoneheart very much. That was yeah. That's my... That's my biggest disappointment in the show. It's not Dorne, it's not Ariane Martell or anything like that, because at this point, I just don't think they, I think they would have butchered it no matter what. Mm. Uh, but Lady Stoneheart, oh, she would have been awesome. Yeah, that would have been cool. It would have looked really cool on screen. But uh, now, yeah, into the actual uh, trailer, trailer stuff. Yeah, yeah, so episode seven is going to have, we see a shot of Olena just giving Cersei the business, saying that, that she's ruined the two ruined their houses, which is interesting it's hard to just say Cersei is being blamed for everything that's just gone wrong. Olena went along with the plan. Didn't go, she didn't mm -hmm. handle it well either. So maybe something else has happened in between to make her say that. And what I, my guess is, and I think you guys agree with the possibility of this guess, Loras being, joining the Kingsguard as Lord Commander, which would, in show canon, is far more devastating to the Tyrells because... 
There's no other Tyrell heir. There's only Loras. There's no Garland. There's no Willis. So, remember Tywin threatened to name Loras to the Kingsguard, and that's what got Olena to kind of come back around to things as they were kind of arguing. It may have been Cersei. She said that too, mm -hmm. but I think it was. I think it was. I think it was Tywin. In any case, that may have been foreshadowing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, there's an interesting little thing that Jonathan Price said, right? Yeah, no, it's in Polish, and I, I think I saw it on Reddit or something. But it didn't seem like that trustworthy because the translations were people were arguing about the translation and stuff. So I can't give you, a, you know, I can't give you a great quote or anything. But um, he he did seem to suggest that before the trial there is something that happens that changes the course of things. From what I gather, mm. it it seemed unreliable, whatever. But I'm just telling you this. In, in a kind of rumor way. Well, that one possibility is certainly Loras joining the Kingsguard. That would cause some problems. But another possibility, or both, could happen. There's a scene that they show in the trailer where Olena is like coming around a corner in the castle and she looks a little concerned and, it, and, she's, not, and she's alone. And it has kind of an action scene feel to it. And of course, Olena's not coming out ahead of any action scenes, so I wonder if we're going to see Olena die. I'm officially making her my worry of the week. And I'm down with that theory. I don't think she's going to die. <laughs> yeah, uh, despite Aziz, I will fight him. No one this. wants Olena to die. I do not want no. it to be true, but I, I do. I, that's where the evidence is leading my brain. Slight segue for me. I tend to think that Daenerys is going to have a female coalition, <laughs> uh, Queen of the Cockles, as we said, yep. and that there'll be women in power in the majority of the regions, one of which will be the Reach. I think Olena will be still in power there. That'd be and cool. we'll reach out to Daenerys, so we'll see about that. It, it could still be could be Marjorie, though Marjorie being queen, you know. Uh, of course, if she loses King's Landing and survives that, then she would be in charge of, yeah. Yeah. He, oh, <laughs> by the way, the the um, gist of the Jonathan Price quote was that there was a scene that was just unbelievable, and it'll take place at the Great Sept, and practically everyone is said to be present there, and he says the High Sparrow has grown overconfident. Um, basically, which which generally he gives like a bit more about uh, about it. That's that says too much. Some of these actors uh -huh. just give away half the plot, don't they? Yeah, they can't yeah, help yeah, it, right? can they? <laughs> <laughs> so so that at least it's somewhat vague, but we'll see. This this could be the I choose violence scene. It might be you know them mm -hmm. Lancel and others are coming to collect her because she didn't show up, and she's like, nah, nah. You go ahead and fight the mountain, and we'll see what happens. And so. Yoke boy, we could get our moment. We could finally get some mountain kicking some ass action, yeah. full blown mountain action instead of these teasers. I can't believe it still hasn't happened. It's just what it's just a <laughs> carrot on a stick, isn't it? It's never it gonna is. happen. Seriously, they're teasing the hell out of us with this. Uh -huh. Now, Watchers on the Wall showed us a photo of it's on their website. Mm -hmm. Marjorie being released. She's wearing her full queenly raiment. She's got the crown back on. She's hugging Olena, but Septa Unella is standing there. Septa Supreme. Septa Supreme, shame, shame. Shades of Cersei to dance with dragons. This is pretty important. I'm not sure. This is something that this detail has slipped by some people. When Cer at the end of a dance with dragons, Cersei is still under guard by the Faith, even though she lives back in the castle. She's got Septas with her all at all times. She's got handmaidens that that have that sleep with her and get rotated out so that Cersei can't corrupt them. And they're like all 
virgins or something. It's just really weird. Mm-hmm. But also totally in line with how the sept work, septas and, and septons work, how the faith works. It's funny because uh, Cersei did, you know, sleep with another woman. <laughs> That's uh, true. Correct. You know, maybe corrupt her in that sense. That's so true. Mar- Tara Tana Merriweather, right? Yeah, yeah. Thinking of her. So it's good to be careful who you put in her bed. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. So it's pretty funny. So this could be what we're seeing. Marjorie may think that she's getting out of the clutches of the faith only to find that, that the High Sparrow is keeping her, you know, keeping some, keeping mm-hmm. his claws in her, her tal- his talons, rather. That's what sparrows have mm-hmm. in her, even though she's still, you know, getting to go back to the, to the Red Keep, etc. So that definitely bears watching and is very, mm. looks like that plot line is really going to blow up, if not next episode, yeah. then the episode after. I'm now to do something that we forgot to do at the beginning of this segment, which is what the synopsis and title will be. The title is The Broken Man, a uh, striking title to anyone who's read the books, uh, yeah. obviously. Uh, the synopsis is The High Sparrow Eyes Another Target, mm. Jamie Confronts a Hero. Mm. Arya makes a plan. The North is reminded. Because I think we just pretty much broke down that High Sparrow part. Jamie confronting a hero is pretty straightforward. It's Blackfish. Mm-hmm. Arya makes a plan. That, well, we talked about how she, what she needs to do, but the plan itself, we have no idea what she's going to actually mm-hmm. do. The North is reminded. Well, there's a lot of scenes of Sansa and Davos and John. John isn't doing any talking. It's Sansa and Davos that seem to be doing the talking. But what we're seeing is them trying to recruit Northern Lords, and we see them all at the Mormont's Hall, and we see them all at the Glover's Hall, and we see them all talking to the Wildlings, and we see Tormund arguing with fellow Wildlings that if we don't support John after he supported us, we're cowards. Hmm. And so this reminder, what does it mean? Reminding that Sansa's out there, that the Starks are out there, or is it going to be Ramsay doing something nasty to Rickon, reminding them mm. that who's, who's in charge, you know, that mm. kind of thing? Being, uh, being trying to be authoritative along those lines. Do you guys have any thoughts on that, anyone? Um, I can't remember if you mentioned it just now, but that we don't see any side of Melisandre. No Melisandre, you're right. No shot of Melisandre in any of those scenes either, which is a bit curious. I wonder what, what she's up to. Yeah, I wonder she did leave with them, right? She did leave. It looked like it. I, yeah. If I remember correctly, there was a big caravan, and I was—I mean, like Brienne and Jane and Brienne and Podrick left with them, though. Yeah. Because they were all going down the road, mm. and they could split off. So. Mm. She's pro- yeah. she's probably not someone you want around when you're trying to convince people to join your cause in the north. Agreed. Uh, we've got this woman from a shy who burns children. <laughs> Brings people oh. back from the dead. And she worships, you know, some other god here. Yeah. <laughs> um, another quick thing, um, back to the Arya thing, um, is that there's a shot from watching the Wall again that shows her gazing at the Titan. I mean, a really beautiful photograph. Yeah. Wearing different clothing, yay. Yeah. Um, it appears to be like water dancer style clothing with the, whatever it's called, and the fluffy sleeves, the a la Cereal Pharrell. Yeah. Um, and in various uh, preseason, in the preseason trailers and photos of uh, when they were shooting, because it was pretty public, the stuff they're shooting for Arya a lot of the time. Um, there were a lot of shots of her swimming in the water in that outfit. Mm-hmm. So it seems that maybe her plan has something to do with the water. Maybe she just mm. to jump into the water to escape. Maybe she actually dances on water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's an actual water dancer. <laughs> uh. And Arya's not actually in the trailer, but as the yeah. the description of the episode and this photo reveals that yeah. her story will continue next episode. There'll be no hiatus there. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Uh, and I had yeah. something about something else that's not in oh. the trailer. Just getting back to the north and we'll talk about Brienne in a minute, but you mentioned it. Uh, that she's, that Brienne has left 
Castle Black with his group of people, and we see them, and she's not there. She's gone. She, we, we suppose she's headed for the Riverlands. But that and the uh, title of the episode, which you just mentioned, uh, makes me think there's some very significant thing that's been left out of the description and the trailer. Yes. <laughs> a certain uh, broken man yeah. who show viewers will be massively surprised to see alive, but if you're familiar mm. with the Gravedigger theory, you won't be surprised at all. The possibility of a return by the Hound, so yeah. that could be that could be that could be this next episode. Uh, Broken I, Man, it really it could be next episode. Get hyped, folks! Clegane yeah, yes. returning. I always find these sort of omissions to be almost as interesting because you know they they pointedly omit the huge things from trailers and, and things yes. like this. So. Yeah. As they so, should. As they should. <laughs> so, given that, do you do you guys think that Brienne will be the, the for person, the perspective that sees this. Yes. yes. You do. Boy, that will be interesting. Yeah. Like, I fought you, and mm-hmm. it's got a whole different mm-hmm. angle to it mm-hmm. than yeah. the book does. Yeah, yeah it certainly so does. Maybe Sandra will be like, yeah, she beat me. A good fight, you mm-hmm. know? Props. Thanks. Uh, yeah, like, thanks. Yeah. It set Second me on life. this new path, so. Yeah. Now, we also have, let's talk about some other Riverlands stuff. Let's go to, let's talk about River Run itself. We've got Edmure with a dagger at his throat. In the books, it's a trebuchet, and that plan doesn't work because they're not—they they don't go through with it. It's a—it's an empty threat that that we talked about earlier. So, what did you, Lady Gwen? You have some thoughts on that, maybe? I just—I was—I was reminded of that Edmure and the Frey Gallows, which we mentioned earlier. But that that particular shot reminded me of sort of this empty threat of, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna hang him or we're gonna throw him over that was Jamie's empty threat, but he, he seems to attract empty threats. So. <laughs> That's true. A blackfish, of course, is being the blackfish, standing tall, not bowing down. And he, in the, of course, in the, we know what happens in the books. He ends up having to surrender the castle because Edmure is his liege lord and orders him to. Otherwise, his, you know, because Jamie threatens his child. And, but Blackfish escapes in the books and we don't know where he goes specifically. And that's a whole other topic of conversation mm-hmm. where he might be at the end of Dance with Dragons. But... Great quote from A Dance with Dragons that might be something Shades of will be in this next episode. Lady Gwen, take us away. Uh, uh, okay, so in in the um, preview, you, you see Blackfish say, while I'm standing, the war is not over, which echoes this great line from the books. You must be blind as well as maimed, sir. Of course, he's talking to Jamie. Lift your eyes and you'll see that the dire wolf still flies above our walls. That is just like, yeah. Yeah, hell defiance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Man so I, I can't wait to see that defiance. We also got a little, we got a little shot of Black Walder looking very nervous, and Yoke Boy noticed there's something wrong with his nose. So I wondered if, because I, I mentioned it earlier, that perhaps we would see some sort of Merit-like character. Maybe Black Walder could be standing in for Ryman or Merit and um, fall afoul of the Brotherhood without banners. Yeah. And still to come from, you know, we expect the phrase to get a comeuppance. We don't, not sure. And the, the, is the idea of Black Wilder maybe being caught and hung or something like that, hanged, being <laughs> caught, is, it makes a lot of sense. But it does seem like the phrase will have at least one triumph because a preseason trailer shows Wilder Frey sort of toasting his hall, standing up, looking really happy. And there's a whole group of Freys and Lannisters toasting with him, drinking to his toast. Well, that hasn't happened yet, so I feel like River Run will fall, but yeah. I think that the Blackfish will probably escape, like the books. And, Go north, Blackfish. And, Go for Sansa. Yeah, and maybe he'll hook up with Sansa, Brienne, <laughs> something like that, and good things will hopefully happen from that. <laughs> now, here's a shot 
from the trailer that we really are confused about because it just reveals so little, but it's also very evocative. It appears to be someone walking on grass amidst corpses. We always see his feet and corpses. But it's hard to tell whose feet it is, and it's hard to tell who the corpses are. And, yeah. of course, it's just grass, so we know it's not, like, desert. It's not the north. But other than that, Lady Gwen, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, well, to me, you know, we we watched it over and over and over again, trying to get some details, because you do see bodies lying in the grass. It looks to me like the Riverlands, the kind of the light and everything looks like the Riverlands scenes that we've seen. But the bodies don't look like soldiers, is what we finally came up with. So uh, I agree with I that. Think... One of them looks like a woman. Yeah. She looks like she's got a dress on, looks like a, a villager. So mm. could be, you know, the aftermath of an attack of some kind, so... We're thinking maybe a Brotherhood Without Banners scene. Mm. Yeah, a lot of good possibilities there. Hard to say, but something to be excited about and to wonder about. Hmm. Um, but moving on, we see Yara and Theon in Volantis, very clearly in Volantis. It's the Long Bridge. That's extremely uh, identifiable, and there's a Greyjoy sail sitting right there. They're not discussing going to Danny. No. They're discuss, but maybe it's just because of a Trick snippet. Of We're only getting a snippet. Yeah. I think either. I think it's possible that, you know, right after that conversation, they come up with the idea to do that. But it also makes me wonder, well, really, they had to go all the way to Volantis for a nearby port to, hmm. to get to, to escape from Yeah, that's this? a little odd. It's a little <laughs> far, really. Like, there's yeah. plenty of other ports in Essos that they could have reached before then. Um, just struck me a little odd. Yeah. Unless, like, the Volantis made sense to me thinking that they were aiming to go to Daenerys. It's perfectly on the way. Yeah, it's just a large place, and maybe yeah, you know that, somewhere that they're more welcome. It's got a huge harbor. Mm. Yeah, it is maybe a little odd, but there may be an explanation. Yeah, that yeah, we, yeah. Um, come, come up with exactly. We've only seen that one tiny line, so not yeah. much to say. Okay, so we have Sam confirmed to be going to Old Town still, and why is that? Uh, well, again, in some of these, you know, they're just public filming. They're doing it in in cities. So in the city that Old Town's filmed in, it was confirmed to be Old Town, and there was report there were reports of of a brief scene, a very brief scene. It was said of Sam talking to a maester, hmm. and so that makes that leads me to believe that we'll see Sam stop at Old Town. He has to sail out of there, and he'll talk to the maesters, but he won't stay. That's what I'm theorizing, partially because it just doesn't make sense for, to me for him to stay in Old Town. Yeah, unless they do some sort of Euron attacking the Reach, which seems like it has a high likelihood of being yeah. cut from the show. Yeah. But if not, that would be a sensible thing for them to sort of mash yeah. together. And like we said, we talked about the possibility of Arya. Now, Arya seems maybe she'll come, a popular theory in the books is that Arya will join the troupe, and that's how she comes across to Westeros as an actress. Mm -hmm. And maybe they go to Old Town. <laughs> and there you go. We also like the possibility of Jorah going there. Some people thought about the possibility of Jorah using Dragonglass to stop the spread of Grayscale, since that seems to be a multi-purpose <laughs> tool at this point. So that's pretty interesting. And we also have the Randall Tarley actor con con kind of confirming in a little... Yeah, I'm not sure if that was during filming or what, but either way, it was a funny tweet and more worthy of mention. He said... He said, so he's, he posted a picture of himself looking happy at the seaside with sunglasses and he's, after the episode, and he said, see, Randall has a soft side, too. He even has a seaside. Mm. Which was just a, a funny little line. Him being by the shore <laughs> sounds like old town, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe but... so, because I'm sure he films a lot of things, but yeah. it definitely made me laugh. For all we know, that castle that Horn Hill was used as is near the sea, and he just walked over yeah, there. Yeah, like I don't know but... where. It's at Castel, Castel de Santa Florentina? 
Mm. I think that's cool. what it was. And, um, in Barcelona or Barcelona, um, depending on how picky you are on how I say that. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it was very definitely Roman-looking, really gorgeous pillars. I, I, honestly, I, people, a lot of people nitpicked on that scene. Not nitpicked, but it bothered them how large Horn Hill was. They were like, yeah. well, that's Horn Hill. What's High Garden look like? And I'm like, yeah, it's gonna look awesome. <laughs> yeah, it looks awesome. And it's like, come on, they have to use real castles here. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, you know? a, it's a real <laughs> they castle. They can't just like scale um, that down. I didn't mind that at all. It's, I didn't mind it. Uh, just because it's big doesn't mean it's like wealthier, you know. Yeah, so, like, largeness doesn't mean more well protected. Yeah. or any number of things. So yeah, I don't mind that. I'm not complaining that people made that complaint, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't make it. <laughs> so let's do our worry of the week. I've already pretty much said mine. I'm worried about Elena. I'm very worried about Elena. Um, I guess you guys aren't, so that's cool. Because uh -huh. I it gives me a little more confidence that I'm wrong. Elena, Elena could kick anyone's ass. That's what we do in the disease. <laughs> she's actually a faceless man in disguise. She's like Picel. She pretends to be decrepit, but she's actually like yes. her cane is like she's got a sword. She's in there. a ninja. Sword cane. Valerian steel cane. Yeah. Straight from George's collection. Of sword cane. <laughs> Um, the waif, I think, belongs on there, even though I don't think any of us actually mind her being killed. No, exactly worry. I, I really like the actress, and I've seen people say that she's not very good. But I think her, her role is just to be really emotionless and like you know cold. I think yeah. she does it really well. I do too. So. Yeah. I, I kind of, I kind of like her actually. Yeah, I like her as well. Faye Marseille, I think, was it. The Tudors that she was in, or yeah, I believe so. It's one of those, uh, one of those historical shows. Um, but yeah, I think she's really great. Um, but I can see why she's also very frustrating for people <laughs> to see this antagonistic relationship, and she's very, uh, she's very eerie. What about some other worries? Any other worries? I guess mine is only Brienne and Pod. Mm. I'm not really worried, but as I feel like they're in the most danger. Mm, okay. Maybe Pod more yeah. than Brienne because he's... Yeah, maybe Pod more than Brienne, uh, although I feel like the showrunners love Pod. So. Oh, you know something we didn't mention, by the way? We talked about Bronn, but he's in the trailer. Yes. So Bronn is definitely in the next episode. We knew we were pretty sure he'd come back because he's been, Jamie talks about bringing him with him, but yeah. Yeah, that's a nice to have confirm, confirmation of. Yes. Um, any other armor, any other uh, worries of the week? I'm not, I'm not worried about them dying, but I mean, Sam and Gilly are going to kind of have people on their back so I'm worried in that sense I think I think they're you know they'll be all right but kind of worried on some level as long as they're 71 yards or more away from Dickon they should be safe 70 yards that's dangerous yeah. 71 you know no problem so we also sometimes do our armored and plot but none of us really had to be honest right now at this point I think all the characters are armored are armored and plot for me like the majority that's why I didn't really have worries of the week so many characters, I just don't think they can die at this point. You know what? Actually, I've got a new one. I just oh. realized because we were worried about Loras for a long time. And now I'm not yeah. worried about Loras being killed anymore. Now I'm worried he's going to become a Kingsguard, yeah. which is not really... I'm not worried about his life. But I do yeah. think that that, his, that would take him off the, the death list, at least for mm -hmm. now. Unless he ends up like going against the mountain, which we still think could happen in some, some way. Uh, in fact, maybe... So, especially if the trial by combat isn't happening, according to that spoiler from Jonathan Price. Then maybe Loras gets to dodge that bullet as well. Maybe he's mm -hmm. set to fight the mountain and it doesn't happen. So we still don't know who the well, champion is going to be. Put someone stay, you know, lying in a prison for how who knows how long fighting the mountain. In <laughs> fact, I just had a new thought. That's a yeah. that's a good idea too. But I had that just just dawned on me. Maybe that's why Cersei refuses to come because she doesn't want Loras to die, which is maybe seem yeah. odd from Cersei's point of view. But she doesn't want to screw up her relationship with the Tyrells, even though she's 
already done several things to screw it up. Maybe this is like, no, I'm not going to have a Maybe Olena wants her to do that. And of course, if that's the case, then Olena would, should still be alive. <laughs> so any, a lot of possibilities there. Anyway, I think that's it for the episode. We're going to talk a couple more. We're going to do a, a couple we're going to go a little longer and talk a little bit about Balticon. So just a minute. We Most of our Balticon stuff, like we said, we're going to save for another episode. We're not sure when that will be yet because we're trying to work out the yeah, details. Yeah, we're definitely going to do our Aeron episode um, yes. this so that's, weekend. That's the big reveal. The spoiler chapter he read at Balticon was Aeron Damphair. And oh man, it was an incredible chapter. And we even had our own chapters moot. This is fun. <laughs> a Baltimore. The con was at Baltimore, but we had a Baltimore. George gave. We knew we were in for it, and in the good way. Because normally, Shay and I have been to several readings, and he just reads. He doesn't. He doesn't usually. Doesn't often. I mean, it was an option. You know, we knew it was possible that he would give us a choice. And when yeah. he gives you a choice, he does it by cheering. And he offered three possibilities. So once he offered three possibilities, we were all very confident. Ooh, the energy new. in the room went way up because uh -huh. we figured out of those three choices, something's going to be yeah, brand new, yeah, right? right? Something we haven't heard before. Okay. He started by offering us Mercy, the Ari chapter. And that chapter been out in 2014. And so there were mostly crickets. Some people yeah. cheered, but mostly just crickets. Ari's like, I, I tend to think that some of the cheers are more for people who just want to support Arya as a character. You know, yeah, they yeah, yeah. They know she's not going to win. Cheer for Arya. For example, I did the same thing. Uh, in As a sense, and the next choice was Aaron Dampere, and oh my God, the crowd just exploded, yeah. the screams and yells, and it was just like relief. It was like, yes, Aaron. finally we get it. It was so amazing. The energy in the room was incredible, and he got called us all sick motherfuckers for wanting it. He called himself a sick motherfucker An for writing it too basically yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. we agreed with him yeah so and then he also offered to read it some fake some of his fake history some f sons of the dragons some mm -hmm. which was which was read at luncon which, which uh, uh, yoke yeah. boy was at yeah you guys were yeah really we've, we've got an episode we've got an episode on that if you actually want to hear what sons of the dragon was about if you're curious you're at balticon then uh, episode four we t we go into it so so yeah, obviously Aziz and I would be pushing for that, and I in fact had commented on George's live journal um, prior to the con, as I always do, pushing for fire and blood. I'd love to hear him read it, and it's a long way out that we'll get it. But as soon as we heard that it was Sons of the Dragon, I mean, I, I was cheered. I was very I was relieved because <laughs> it would I would have hated for it to be some new historical thing, and then we have this choice and a slight disappointment not to get it. But so yeah, Aziz yeah. and I were sitting across the room from each other, but we both cheered for Sons of the Dragon in solidarity. <laughs> That's right. Not because and, and because we knew there was no chance, zero percent chance that it could win. And there's already full transcripts out there, so um we'll be doing our episode. Um poor Quentin on Twitter and Tumblr has a very accurate transcript. As we were there, we you know have heard it and we can tell you that there are some minor and major errors in there's actually quite a few transcripts um, going around. Which uh, yeah, is so we recommend Emmett but, Booth's Poor well, Quentin. It's fortunate and name. unfortunate, to be clear, because obviously yeah. we want it shared with everyone, but unfortunate because George specifically asked that people don't do that. Um, but it's out there, and so but, we may as well, we, we're going to analyze so yeah. it. And, we, and if, since it's out there, mm -hmm. we want the most accurate version to be the one that people refer to. Mm -hmm. so. so Poor Quentin, check him out. Yeah. Um, he's got it linked everywhere. Yeah, so. big shout out to him. Mm -hmm. uh, also... So let's talk about a few other random things we learned. Just some random bits of A Song of Ice and Fire knowledge that came out. Hat tip to our friend Kristen Reed Tredo, who asked George a sneaky question and got an answer that was kind of unexpected. She asked, will we ever learn how 
Duncan the Tall relates to Brienne of Tarth. He, she, so she worded it in a way that made it sound like we already knew that connection existed. Mm -hmm. She may have tricked George into giving a straight answer because George hasn't actually revealed. I mean, he's hinted at it heavily that this is that connection is there, and there's a lot of textual evidence which we can't really get into right now. We don't have time for that. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of textual evidence connecting Dunk to Brienne. The main thing being the shield that Dunk carries around is the same shield that Brienne ends up carrying around. And, of course, their size, <laughs> both referred to as thick as a castle wall, these other things. No true knight. Uh, no true knight. Yeah, there's a lot of things that connect them. But a true knight, very much so, but yes. And, but George said, yes. <laughs> he said, yes, we eventually. will learn that. Eventually, eventually, all you know, all things in good time. So he basically confirmed yeah. that that connection widely believed, to be fair. We kind of already knew, but weren't 100% sure. That went from 99% to 100%, which... Yeah is a huge final, that's a huge percentage point, going from <laughs> almost sure to 100% sure. Yeah, I, I think uh, Kristen confirmed that one of George's minions um, did confirm that he meant it as a confirmation. Could I say confirm again in one sentence? <laughs> <laughs> a confirmed confirmation. A lot confirmed. of people were doubting it. I saw in comments, like, that's not Why what I meant. Why would you doubt like, that? No, yeah. it's pretty we, clear. Well, we know yeah. Kristen personally, and she is... You know, she's not one to to get the wording wrong. Uh -huh. She's not one to to be fast and loose with exactly what he said and how she asked the question. So I have I have very much a lot of confidence in that, <laughs> especially because we already thought it was true in the first place. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> Another thing George confirmed, which he's already confirmed in the past, but he maybe not everyone is aware of this. Some people think that George is that Westeros, Planetos, whatever your favorite term is, Taros, Martin World, whatever you want to call it, Gurm World, is part of George's Thousand Worlds thing, where he has this universe where he has some other books that are all set in this Thousand Worlds, and some people think maybe there used to be a sci-fi setting in Westeros long ago, and this is part of Thousand Worlds. He is, oh my god. I mean, I hate uh, it. And George says, no, I'm glad that this is gone. I usually don't hate theories, but I hate that Why do people one. keep pushing this one? It's not even very good. Yeah. No, it's not very good. And to be clear, I think myself and probably the rest of us enjoy shared universes, and they are done well. But they're, they mean to do them. They, they, yeah. And George has said no. And this I just don't get where people get this idea. Why, and it's not one of the things he would lie about. Like, again, he doesn't lie. And if he did, why would he lie about this? Like, it's not going to come up in the books yeah. probably. Like, oh, look, look at that. Like, there's No, because it would worlds. be a like, kind of like little thing for hardcore fans, wouldn't it? it yeah. It's not like a game changer that he wants to keep secret. Yeah, so exactly. why yeah. on earth? People would think that he, he'd lie about this. I don't know. Like I said, I think it's a pretty awful idea. <laughs> sorry. Sorry if I Yeah, we don't mean to offend there. anyone if you like that theory. Yeah, but if you liked it, no worries. I mean then. to offend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, do, I, I am not a fan of it. Yeah, uh, so let's... So, yeah, we get a little... It's, it's you know, every, theories are fine. Everyone's yeah. welcome to their own theories, and we shouldn't argue with each other about favorite theories. But if George says it's not true, come on, guys. It's not true. For That's me, that. it's <laughs> like you get your one, you get your question to ask George. You should research what questions he's been asked before. You yeah. should read all the SSMs, and this was a fairly recent thing that it's happened. A, it's a rare opportunity to ask it's a question a rare to George. Opportunity, and this is one he's just been asked, and I'm sure it's frustrating for and him. He was to... asked the same every Q and A we've been to. Someone asked him who his favorite character every single time. Every someone time asks they ask him what his thoughts are in Game of Thrones, <laughs> and it's just really annoying. Or what character he most relates to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a always, in other words. Yeah, he always says his favorite character is Tyrion. The one he relates to is Sam. We've heard that answer a million times. For once, George, and we've seen George get irritated at it. He's like, he's he's answered it before the question was even done. This time he was in such a good mood. Maybe because 
the con went really well for him. You know, it was. He did have a lot of fun. He seemed to be having a lot of fun on stage because there was yeah, other was... events. There was like a liars a, a liars okay. event where that where different authors tried to lie to the audience. It was a charity event. That, if they were yeah. caught in the lie, they have to put $10 in the booth. And yeah. anyone challenging him and, and getting wrong, they have to put a dollar in. It was Baltimore 50, so there were a lot of, you know, of of people from the fandom, from the convention fandom. They yeah. They known for years, authors and artists and things like that. So I'm sure it was a great time for him. It's, it's also uh, fairly close to his home. His original home is in oh, Bayonne, yeah, New yeah, Jersey. He's got some local friends there. Yeah. So it, so it makes sense that he'd be in a better mood than usual. Yeah, he generally yeah, definitely seemed pretty patient, yeah. I thought, as much as maybe some people reported that he didn't want to talk a song about some fire. Into the chapter. He, he was yeah. really, he was reading it. He was yeah. like, you know, really <laughs> into it, having fun, like doing voices for <laughs> some of the characters and and really feeding off of our reactions. And when he started reading, he said, this is, you know, in a way, this is what it's all about. You know, <laughs> we're here to talk, you know, it's, it's interesting to interview authors and to meet them and to interact <laughs> with fans, but really it's all about the stories. And <laughs> that was a great way to segue into reading that chapter because it's like, yeah, it is all about the stories. <laughs> and this, this story yeah. is our life. <laughs> uh, so there was something else confirmed there about a wins POV. Uh, Lady Gwen, you want to say anything about that? Uh, yeah, she told someone, I think, at the dinner the night before the con started, yeah, that, he, that he's uh, working um, on a Cersei chapter, which is uh, first time Cersei's actually been confirmed as a POV. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was actually at the Toastmasters interview or John Picaccio's interview. They said, oh, okay. so people oh, okay. would be, people would, would want to know um, if, if right. they want to know what you're, what you're working on. That's the big question on everyone's mind. And he said, well, before I left, I was working on a Cersei chapter. It was mm. the John Picaccio interview because it I, was, yeah. to, I did not go That's to That's the one it. thing we missed. Oh, really? It was really good. I definitely, a lot of people were a little frustrated as we left the group, the thing, because probably over half of it was talking about award shows, hmm. which to me right. was, was pretty riveting stuff i it was I, I was very interested in it um george is talkative and john picaccio is also very uh charismatic so i was riveted i saw some people fall asleep during oh this interview actually <laughs> uh, which, which cracked me up but you know it's a long long con a i long think i was at, at the bar drinking <laughs> beers and eating gummy bears <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice uh, Okay, so one last tidbit we learned, and then we'll say a few more things about Balticon before we say adieu for the day. There was a little bit of a little bit of deep trivia here. George was asked, "Do we know who Lewin, Prince Lewin Martell's paramour was?" Remember, Prince Lewin Martell was a brother to Doran, and wait, Uncle no, to Doran, no, Uncle to Doran. Uncle I'm sorry, Doran, Uncle to Doran Martell, who was served in Ares as Kingsguard and died at the Trident, at the, the same battle Rhaegar died. He had a paramour, and people have been long wondering if she was around or if she was still alive. And George was asked, do we know who it is? And he said, not sure. So he may not have even decided who it is yet, yeah. and he may not, or he may, maybe he's put her on screen and can't remember if he has, and maybe she's had a brief appearance. So It's, it's ambiguous, isn't it? It's um, yeah. very ambiguous. It could yeah. be anything. <laughs> it could be anything. It's uh, worth mentioning, however. Um, so another question I didn't actually mention, this didn't really get much said, was a question I knew was asked. Um, someone we talked to said she asked um, what trimester Lysa Tully was in when she took um, tan the Tansy. Ah. And then she asked what um, herbs and, and things, what ingredients were in that. Mm. Um, what other things were doing that. Because um, this this. This woman was an OBGYN nurse. Mm -hmm. so she had a vested interest, and George said he didn't know. 
Hmm. He didn't know what trimester she was in, or and he wasn't sure what was all in it. He but he did some research onto that stuff. He just didn't know at the time. That's the kind of question he doesn't like to be pinned down yeah, on yeah. because uh, yeah. it's, times, it's a little too times precise in timelines. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. really. Timelines. He rarely yeah, gives a straight to, answer on timelines. Yeah. To, to pin it down by a matter of months, I, I think I can see where the question may have been coming from. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Although it may have been coming from somewhere else. I, I think she was. I think she was very interested in in how maybe the timeline as well. But I think she was honestly just really interested in how Moon Tea and these these um, mm. things to abort things work. As given her um, given her career mm-hmm. was my impression. She had interest in a lot of other interesting things that I wish she'd been able to ask George. Right uh, on. Okay, so two more quick things. All, all four of us plus. Jeff Hartline, a.k.a. Brendan B. Fish of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire, were on a panel together talking about podcasting, and that's the panel that hopefully we're going to get a recording of, and if so, we'll be able to put an episode out on it. We, Shay and I also did a panel on games of Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones games, computer, board games, card games, etc., that, and, and to, yeah. it was... More popular than we thought it would. Not enough, people were turned away from this panel because oh, yeah. there were too many people, people were coming standing in. up in the back. And so it's a small room. Uh, we talked yeah. about about I had, I had a list of twenty two games based on the series. So that's yeah. quite a lot. Um, I should publish it on the website. Actually, I, I haven't updated the website games page, and I should put this information on there. Right. Um, on. And I still forgot a couple games. I forgot those Sporkle trivia games. Oh yeah, which are very fun. Well, the website will be a good place to be yes, a repository of that Sporkling. stuff. We love Sporkling. We we play uh-huh. the Song of Ice and Fire Sporkle together. Uh-huh. Yeah, have a great time. Guessing the sigils. Guess uh-huh. naming the characters there's a lot of good it's a great great learning tool as long as they're actually correct which i've run into a few that were frustratingly incorrect occasionally are wrong so (laughs) have we but they're good despite a few mistakes they're very good they're They're very fun i heard some other people talking up i think it's called quiz up quiz me up Mm. someone some some people were talking about that it's it's incredible there's so much we couldn't yeah we we couldn't get it all in there and we and we ran out of time in the panel anyway we we spent a lot of time on some games and less on others because some of them we just haven't played but we'll, we'll talk about that more when we get to put out a panel, when we put out our Balticon report episode, assuming we, we are able to, because mm-hmm. there is a chance we can't if the recording is just that bad or if we don't mm-hmm. get it at all. But either way, we will be doing a damp hair chapter review. Recording very it soon. sometime this weekend, we're hoping to do. We're yeah. not sure what day. Um, so for patrons, we'll get that over the course of the following week, and everyone else will get it around the following weekend. So maybe around the time of episode eight, we should be releasing it fully. Um, but don't pin us down on that. Of course, we might run into some some roadblocks. Yeah, but mean, we're fired up to talk about this chapter more. Uh, you know, we've got a, a huge amount of creative energy to work on this right now because it's such mm-hmm. a great chapter, and mm-hmm. it's kind of pushed other things to the side for now. But we've got to roll with the roll with the material. New material deserves to be discussed. Yeah. Uh, yeah so right take away. the time, obviously, to read the chapter and send us your thoughts. You have until this weekend to get them in. That's right. Uh, okay. So yeah, send us questions. Send us e- your emails. You can look for us on Twitter, Facebook. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes as well and help us get more notice out there. Lots of ways to support the show at www.historyofwesteros.com. And most stuff on the right sidebar there are various ways to support the show, but you can also just do word-of-mouth stuff. Hmm. Now, before we sign off, Radio Westeros, tell everyone where to find you guys. Yeah, come and check out our podcast if you want something that's just the books. It Hmm. is... RadioWestros.com. Really hope to get some new listeners. Right on. Yeah, definitely check them out. I am. Well, I don't get to rush and listen to our episodes when they're done. So I, but I'm quick <laughs> on Radio Westros episodes. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I, it's the, almost the minute they come out, I'm all over it. So <laughs> unless I'm saving it for some trip or something. Okay, <laughs> folks. It was good to have all four of us back for this review, and we'll hopefully we'll see what's up for next week. We'll certainly be back in one form or another. So Valar Morgulis. 
Valar Balticanus, Valar Nuchapterus, uh -huh. Valar Blood of my Bloodus of my Bloodus.